Hello, everybody. The 200th episode of Last Week on Earth with Ben Glebe begins right now. British Black Friday. There's going to be a new princess or some shit. Why Jennifer Lawrence likes being an asshole. What did Bin Laden have on his computer? Criminal donkeys. Which TV show is coming back on? Come on, do we need this? Of course, we will briefly, I hope, discuss Trump. Podcast favorite Ben Morrison joins me. And a very special conversation with former NATO Allied Supreme Commander General Wesley Clark. All this and more on the 200th episode of Last Week on Earth with Ben Glebe. Whoops. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. Oh my god, guys, listen up. I have an announcement to make. Did you guys know that I'm, like, the number one Google search last week? It could be the stuff of history, however, one way or the other. Okay, is Jessica Simpson here yet? And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic girly man. And you'll never have to pour or measure detergent again. Can we all get along? Karen, our death. Film at 11. How many sides does a triangle have? Damn, four. There's no side. One. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Last week on Earth. Hello. Hello again, everybody. It's, it's so good to see you. I missed you all. It's wonderful that you are here and um, are back with me. I apologize greatly for the extended delay that seems to happen these days. Um, I'll explain in a moment why that went down as part of the reason other than like sheer crazy warp speed of life happening these days coming at us, as I'm sure you're all fully aware. But at the same time... Um, I don't want to apologize as much as I want to celebrate this moment because it's 200 episodes. A lot of people say, hey, Ben, uh, wouldn't this be a natural progression after 199th episode was the last one you did? And I'd say to those people, damn you. You watch your gosh darn mouth telling me how counting works. Okay? We don't know how counting works every time. Sometimes there's scientific anomalies and counting has weird gaps like during February or... um when months have weird women's cycles sync up. I don't understand women, nor do I understand how their cycles exactly work. Um, but, but I do know this, that there's magic out there, and sometimes numbers don't count magically, and, uh, and in cases like that, people don't need to be aware of numbers. I got distracted on my flow there because, as I forgot, this happens sometimes when... When my dear friend Ben Morrison's on the podcast, he does things that distract me, and then I get frustrated. And I shouldn't get frustrated too. He was doing mimes for the Facebook Live broadcast of this, and instead of um, he was doing, he has almost hit the mic, and it made me freak out because that's the main thing we're trying to do here is the mic recording. And I also told him he shouldn't talk until I introduce him formally, which I have still not yet done, but I probably should do um, because this is an incredibly special episode. Later in the episode, I'll give him a formal intro in a little bit, but I have an extended hour long insane conversation in front of a live audience I recorded with former NATO Allied Supreme Commander, General Wesley Clark. This man is a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner. He was a presidential candidate. He's a Rhodes Scholar. He's a great American. 
I can't believe that it gave me access to a four-star general to discuss the state of the world, but that whole conversation, unedited, will be brought to you live later in this podcast, maybe in about 15 to 20 minutes, before Ben and I tackle some stories, which we will do. You can tweet along with this exciting episode, at Ben Glebe on Twitter, and at Ben the Morrison on Twitter as well. You know us, of course, from many episodes of this podcast. He's a favorite. He's loved here. He's the most frequent guest host of the uh, co-host of the podcast and um, one of the only co-hosts I've ever been on the podcast. And um, we also have a rap group together. And I know people are really uh, into our rap and are going to say, I can't believe my favorite rapper is somebody who's done just one song. Um, When's the world going to be unleashed and graced with more? Unleashed? The world will be unleashed and graced. That's not even this too. And the answer is, you wait. I don't know. We don't know. Ben barely even acknowledges that it's a real rap group, and I had to force him into admitting that. So I feel like we've got a lot to bridges to cross before we get into like when we're going to drop more songs. But you can still hear our current one at uh, soundcloud.com slash Ben's Ben's Ben's, and then click on anti-social media, which I'm angry at social media, but again, I'm also not anti it because I'm addicted to it. So I think you all realize that, and we've known it for a very long time. Um, without further ado... I would like to introduce you to Ben Morrison. What's up, bro? Oh, I can talk now. You're allowed to talk now, yes. I am. I'm I'm very, uh, I'm honored, dare I say honored, to be on this, the 200th episode of uh, your podcast. Yeah, dare you say. You still use the theme song uh, we made? Every single week. Thanks for listening so religiously. Thank you. I'm glad you know that. It's been six months. I, I thought... It's been three months since the last episode. That's what I said. It's been three months. But before that, it was three more months. So it's essentially six months. You did... Three months. And we're back, guys. Weekly. Three months later. Yeah. Now we're back. I know. Weekly. And that was some bullshit, and I apologize. Shit got crazy for me, Uh which I will explain to you right now why. But before I do that, I will make a great announcement. I have been soul-searching and waiting for this 200th. I wanted it to be a very special episode. I wanted it to be a very big episode. I wanted it to also announce, for real this time, if the Brain Trust are going to come back on board and... uh Support the podcast like you have in the past and tell your friends to subscribe and listen again and make time in your week for it again. I'll be doing the podcast weekly again. Yep. Every single week. I've already banked a couple of really cool episodes in case I ever can't do a topical one. So it will be weekly, indefinitely again. Yep. I'm back. He's. It's going to be so weekly, he's now calling it next week on Earth. Yeah, I'm calling it the future is now on Earth. The future according to Glebe. Yeah, the world according to Garp. <laughs> People don't even realize Garp. That. Garp, Garp, remember that? Simon and Garp Funkle. Ha, ha, ha. Nothing like a, you know a joke hits when your co-host goes, ha, ha, ha. Gives you like a sarcastic, uh, 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 what's, the, what's the word? Not complacent. Uh, when somebody kind of mocks you, but not really. Uh, condescending. Con- yeah, but not condescending. What? The word is um, placates. A placating yeah. laugh, kind of. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, Robert Heyman just joined. Anyway. Your friend of ours. Shout past, out to past Robert. Podcast Garp. guest. A lot of people are wishing us congrats on the 200th episode, by the way. Quick shout-out to Efren Guzman. Uh, John Nadra feels honored to be witnessing this. You're welcome, John. I'm going to like that live because broadcasting also live on Facebook as well. You're, you're not going to do – you're going to stream all these on Facebook Live now, right? They're also, also going to be streamed, all of them, on Facebook Live, whenever possible uh, they will be. But, yes, uh, and I'm also going to be putting clips of them on YouTube as well. Nice. Um, so I'm really going wide with this shit, doubling down like the first three years when we were every single week. Yep. I'm going to have guests more often whenever yep. possible as well. And when they cancel, I'll be back on. You better believe it. Ben Morrison, always there for me. Um, 
So that's exciting, but we should launch right into the news. Uh, but uh, we shouldn't, because before we do, I want to explain part of the absence. I know I talked on the podcast briefly in the past about part of what I was dealing with recently. Uh, some of you may know I did chronicle some of it on my social media. I discovered in the shower one morning a tumor under my ear, a benign tumor, thank God, in my parotid gland. That's your saliva gland. And it just didn't feel right when I saw a doctor and he said, you got to get this out. What did it feel like? Compared to it felt like a, a, a nut, like a softer plum pit. Really? So maybe like a cashew, um, but the the size of a plum pit. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And um, and it didn't feel right. And so I got CAT scans and all this, and they said you got to get it out. But usually, this kind of tumor, even though it's benign, if you leave it for about ten years, there's like a ten to fifteen percent chance it turns into a very aggressive cancer, and then it's usually fatal, oftentimes mm-hmm. fatal. So I took a gamble of waiting an entire year. Yeah. And um, I waited the year. And tried every health regime I've ever heard of. It was bananas. A little bit. <laughs> it was so bananas. I was literally. He was like, he's, I, like, he's like, Benny, I'm trying this new thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not talking to guys named Doug. There are research shows that if you just avoid people named Doug, it'll shrink the tumor. Yeah, that was one of them. And that one I, I had skeptical right off the, right off the top. But um Especially as your doctor was named Doug. Yeah. He just didn't want me to keep visiting him. He's (laughs) like, you're a neurotic Jew. You're the neurotic gangster. Emphasis on the neurotic part. I got to start carrying guns or something. He's like, man, we got this radical new treatment called never never call me again. Yeah. You're you're, you're worrying so much being at the doctor that I think that's what's making you sick. So point is go home and don't call. So anyway, I, I literally tried meditation. I tried cold showers. I tried... An ungodly amount of supplements. I was taking like 15, 17 supplements a day. Did you really try meditation? I didn't ever. How many times did well, you meditate? I also became vegan. I also did no sugar. Answer I did my no, question. I'll answer in a second. I did no white flour. I, for one month, did zero sugar whatsoever. What? Not even in fruit. And then I did no added sugar for another three months after that. I did everything, acupuncture, everything, trying to make the tumor disappear. But because I tried everything and I got so much conflicting <laughs> advice and I was still so busy the whole time and still working as hard and trying to fix my sleep schedule and being unable to do so, I never was able to dedicate perfectly to anyone. So I meditated probably like 10 times. Oh, yo, dude. <laughs> you know, what? what is it that the, the Buddha said? If you ain't Zen by meditation number eight. <laughs> if you ain't Zen by 10, then forget it, my friend. <laughs> you are not meant to meditate. Yeah. You have a daily meditative practice that you do. Semi-daily, yeah. I'd oh, say. now you're semi-daily. I never said it was every daily. I thought you did say that. Uh, I think in the beginning when I was really exploring it, it was every day, and you kind of have to be very regimented. Okay. And I was that way for a very long time. Yeah. But now... Look uh, at, at meditative pot calling non-meditative black pot. No. Because no. you're, you're also not doing it. No, I, I have a practice. It's been, you know, almost How, how many days a week do you do it? Four or five. And on the weekends, I do longer oh, ones where I okay. go deep. Oh, that's pretty solid. So yeah. it's basically daily. Um, so anyway, I tried all of that. And during the course of the year, the tumor did not grow. Uh, according to one measurement, it shrunk a little bit, but it did not disappear. Mm-hmm. The miracle did not happen. So I had to, you know, uh, buck up. Mm-hmm. I don't know the phrase for it, but I had to bear down. I just had to have surgery. And I had the surgery. It's pretty intense surgery. Two surgeons knocked out for four hours operating on me. And like 90% of cases, the tumor is superficial to the gland. And you're, the big risk of it, why I didn't want to do it, is the facial nerve runs right through the saliva gland. And there was risk that I could damage my facial nerve and then not be able to speak or appear on camera well. And obviously that both those things are my entire life and career. Mm-hmm. And so... And you can't spit in disgust. You can't spit in disgust. And yeah. 
Yeah, like like uh, Rose and Titanic being Defiantly in someone's face. Yeah. That was the real tragedy of this. And that was a good time when you used to be able to do that back in the good old days. Oh, yeah. So Good day, sir. I know. Yeah, and spit right at them. So the point is, you, 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 you couldn't do that, and there were a lot of risks, but I did it. 90% of cases, the tumor is superficial to the gland. It's on, on top. They can get it out pretty easy, and then the Such facial nerves way under. superficial tumor. I know. He's like, oh, my God, this face isn't even, like, the best face to be on. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish it was that shallow, but it was not. I was the 10% of cases. In surgery, they found out. <laughs> you had the super deep tumor. I had a very deep I'm a tumor. Yeah. Think about what that means for your existence. Yeah. If you want to get rid of me, you have to come find me. I will be retreating to my cave. <laughs> I will be down here thinking, smoking. Anyway, point being, uh, it was in the later 10%, deeper 10%, right near my facial nerve. And my facial nerve was over the tumor, splayed across it, touching the tumor. I have video of this. If anybody wants to see me yeah. in person, I'll show you it don't. to you. He forced it upon me. <laughs> I'm like, how you doing? And he's like, check it out. There's my face all cut up. And it's like him. And like, it's, it looks like a mar, it's like a, like a slasher. It's like soft four. And I don't want to see that, man. He warned me. I don't, I've never seen the soft movies, but I don't imagine it's like soft four in any way. But <laughs> I don't imagine it's at all similar. But the point being, um, uh, I have a video where I see him like remove the facial nerve from the tumor. Luckily, they got it out. I was at home for weeks and weeks. My lovely girlfriend, Jacqueline, was nursing me back to health. You like lived in a movie theater. I lived in the theater in the back <laughs> of my house because I had to sleep in an incline. For three weeks, I slept at an incline in the theater. My lovely lady put up with it, but also slept for the second two weeks of it backwards. Yeah, you she guys couldn't sleep on the incline. You guys were like the, the grandparents in Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> like Grandpa George and Grandma George. You gotta try the golden ticket, Charlie! <laughs> I've got a golden tumor. I've got a golden thing inside my face. Yep. <laughs> I don't think it was golden. I would have left it there if it was golden. That would be like, beautiful. Like, the boy with the golden tumor. <laughs> I heard there's a boy with a golden tumor in these parts. I'm prospecting. You wake up and people coming up with pans <laughs> to my door trying to shovel it. You wake up in recovery and the doctor's like, here it is, son. And then he bites it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real one. <laughs> anyone, anyone, anyway. So, D point being, luckily they got it out. I couldn't chew on anything for weeks. It hurt to chew. Mm -hmm. That wasn't cool in the gang. But then eventually, um, uh, I recovered, and I'm fully recovered. Look, I have full motion in my damn neck and my head. I've been skiing. Uh, that's not true. Not skiing. Such a thing. Been skiing. <laughs> it's been like hot months. That's not a lot. Why did I say that? Why, I meant to say. I've been, why, why would you lie about that, man? I didn't mean to lie. I, I meant I've been snorkeling. Very similar words. Oh, Opposite right. activities, but similar words. <laughs> I've been snorkeling. I've been writing. You know, I've been driving. I've been bungee jumping. <laughs> I've, I've been barely moving. I've been carefully. But I literally went snorkeling, and I. Uh, with no problem, I went on water slides already, and I also um, went to recently to Camp Ubuntu. As you guys know, I host every year the Pedal on the Pier event for the Harold Robinson Foundation, which sends inner-city kids from Watts and other areas to camp for the first time. I went and visited the kids at camp. Jacqueline and I did both, and we spent a day with them, and they have this high-wire ropes course, literally high-wire. I had to climb to the top of a log, like 70 feet in the air, and then jump and catch a ring, did that, <laughs> and then we both climbed up separately up onto this top log, and there's a spinning log about a hundred feet in the air and it's loose and you have to walk on it like a loose high wire you're harnessed but it's creepy and scary and you could obviously fall off of it and be dangling in midair and i did all that shit so i'm back baby he's back i'm obviously able to talk podcast style as well oh what's new in the news so let's get into it 
Uh, as we do on this podcast, and again, coming up shortly, General Wesley Clark. Wesley? NBD. Wesley Clark. Right? Who I, I volunteered for him in 2004. First presidential campaign. Yeah. Bananas. Short-lived, but uh, I was happy to do it. He was my pick. Yeah, he's a good, good dude. I really believe in him, and it's a really interesting conversation coming up soon. But first, British Black Friday. British Black Friday. Uh, you think Black Friday is crazy in America. <laughs> Just wait till you see it in, what's it called, um, Great Britain. Uh, boy, they are polite over there. I saw videos, and they barely, no one shows up even. And those that do incredibly sedate, very oh. calm, polite scenes, uh, a distinct lack of lines, uh, not to mention violent brawls. Pardon me. Uh, I was I was considering trampling you for that Samsung Galaxy. No, please. Just, just you go ahead. Might I at least step on your toe forcefully? The deals. Whatever makes you feel fine. I just would rather you walk in and then I walk in. There's plenty of room for all of us. Don't you, don't you agree? They seem to have lots of stock in stock. Look at all of these things. So much stock. We've got beef stock. Like from soup, you understand the reference. We've got stockings. We've got stock markets. We've got stock people who stock other people who are desperate for accompaniment. I say, why is your, why is your, why? Why, Why is face British, melting? Fra- British face so affected? Well, Are you sure they, they got the entire tumor? Dude, they have weird faces. <laughs> Am I sure they got the entire tumor? You son of a bitch. I'm pretty sure. I don't Refer to the yet. video podcast listeners, for which you'll post for the, the great Yeah, to accent. see the face I'm making. But I think people can sort of tell that the face British is Black not. Friday, it's not a thing. It's only, only America has, like, <laughs> brawls where... Where you, you brandish as a weapon the item that you're fighting to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me, please put that knife away. I, I'm just slowly trying to grab this, this item. That's a good reference. In America, item. this flat screen just became a, a, a move stick. <laughs> Get out of my way. <laughs> a move stick. I got an extra flat screen just to bump motherfuckers. Why are we making that voice? <laughs> that, I don't know, I was making a kind of our, like an American voice. It's an American ball. Bum rush Walmart voice. You better bereave it. You, hey, man, not cool. I know. So then, obviously, America was also calmer than typical. I remember the first one of the first few episodes of this podcast, six and a half years ago, or six years ago, was we tough, we, we, we discussed Black Friday, and there was brawls, there was fights, there was tramplings. Tell us about this year, why it was less so, Ben. Was it because of well, Cyber, Monday. Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday. Here's a quick note about Black Friday. A little thing that I learned. I went to Best Buy with my little sister. Um, they really have Best Buys. They're like top-notch buys. I haven't been buys. in years. But we we went just to browse, right? And the guy working there told me that basically all the Black Friday deals are in store for like four days before Black Friday. Is that right? Yeah. At, they, the, at the Black Friday prices? Mm-hmm, yeah, That's they, hard to believe. They put out some like doorbusters, but for the most part, all the things that are on sale are on sale for days before Black Friday. And um, retail itself is moving uh, much more online. Yeah, to, Cyber Monday broke deal, broke records, right? Yes, yes, it did. Cyber Monday broke a lot of records. In fact, According to CNBC, online transactions on Cyber Monday reached a record. $6.59 billion. That's according to Adobe Insights. That which sounds becomes, like a lot, but is that a lot compared to other well, years? Well, it is a lot when you consider that uh, Cyber Monday became the largest online shopping day in U.S. history. and that, that's, that's a more convincing st- that's a 16 statistic. Point, now I feel you. It's a 
percent increase from a year ago, and that that's a pretty that's huge a pretty big year over one, year increase in one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mobile sales, mobile sales on Cyber Monday, people basically people ordered two billion dollars worth of stuff from their phones. Whoa! On Cyber Monday, <laughs> most of that from Instagram ads or what? Yeah, all all Instagram. You ads. know what's the crazy thing with Instagram ads is like I lo- really want most of the products that pop up in my Instagram ads. I don't know if they're geo targeting my brain or some shit. Instagram ads is that run in between stories? Yeah, no, not in between stories. Just in your feed. In your grid, I be, seen a lot of are you kidding, yeah, yeah. dude? I bought a pair of Golden Girls Chuck Taylors <laughs> that are really? the fucking best thing in the did world. You really? Oh yes, I did. <laughs> and they came from China and they fit perfect somehow, and it was fucking great. Despite my best efforts, however, you know what sales dropped this year? What? Kazoo's. <laughs> Bad news. That's unfortunate because I'm trying to bring that kazoo life back and you know expand the kazoo universe to include anybody that wants to be part of it. Hashtag kazoo life. I know, but at the same time. Uh, I still got a tried and true group of kazoopies that do follow me on the road. And they request me to play kazoo at my live shows, and I do my best. I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas this this week, um, this Thursday through Saturday. I'll tell you more, more of my dates later, but my Thursday show is free. So you can come and just walk in and come to it if you're of age, and then laugh. And the other shows, you can buy tickets at Glebe.com. Fort Worth, Texas, Hyenas Comedy Club. So keep that in mind. <laughs> My kazoo talks. I don't know if you're like, it's like a live auto tune thing I do. It's very impressive to a lot of people. Gently weeping. While my kazoo gently weeps, I won't stop singing on this podcast, especially not on 200. Boom, 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 boom. You get it. Okay. I think that kazoo is semi broken. And so uh, that's fun. Um, Meghan Markle used to be a deal or no deal briefcase model. Apparently, she's going to be a princess now or some bullshit Huffington Post reports. <laughs> uh, ben, what, what is, what's, who is this person? Uh, from what I can tell, she's a actress, quote unquote, uh, who... On the show Suits, everybody's favorite show, Suits, that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. How did she meet him? Way They're to, introduced by mutual people. Way to network, man. Yeah, get yourself a prince, baby. Oh, man. She went from... Uh, get yourself a prince, baby. She went from uh, deal to duchess. From deal, I like that a lot. Chris Frangiola, past podcast guest, dear friend from Chelsea lately, uh, used to work at a restaurant with her. She was a hostess at a restaurant like 12 years ago. Really? Says she's very nice. I'm sure I'm sure she is. She's going to charm her way into a... The British royal family. I mean, yeah, and she's mixed. some girls come here with dreams of yeah. getting a sitcom. Yeah, now she's going to be part of the British monarchy, and she's mixed race, <laughs> which is a cool barrier to be broken for the British family. Mm-hmm. They don't have any non-whites in that family. That's in account very of being true. Very, um, pardon me, being very pardoned. Their son will be the first prince to have a sweet tan. <laughs> true that. Um, so apparently she used to be on Deal or No Deal's briefcase model. She was case number 11 oftentimes. Never gave out the big prize. And she finds it a, kind of an embarrassment that she didn't love that gig. It was one of those pay the bills gigs that she had to do. Unlike podcasts, which is a labor of love for me. One of, one of the first jokes I ever wrote was, uh, do you think if they asked the owner of Buffalo's football team if he likes his job, he'd say, eh, it pays the bills. Pays the bills. Buffalo's football team? Right, but what is, how does it pay the bills? It pays the bills because he's... Because what he does gets the team paid. What he does pays. He's not the owner. If he's the owner of the team. Did you say owner or coach? I think I said. I hope I said owner. I think you might have said owner. It pays the bills. That's a really bad joke. And I'm glad that you don't do it anymore. 
Every time I hear uh, Bills, I think of that. As comedians, you like have jokes that you never tell because they, you know, they're kind of stupid or suck. Yeah. But you tie them to words or phrases, and then whenever you hear that phrase, yeah. just in daily life, your head. It reminds you of like, how bad you used to be. <laughs> it's just ricochets in your brain, echoes of their former less funny self. Yeah. Usually, I'm like, that's oh, a good thing you never told that joke. That's a weird thing. Have you ever listened back to old sets of yours or find a tape, and you thought at the time you were as good as you can get in comedy, and oh, you're yeah. killing, and then you watch, you're like, wow, nervous, un unpolished on stage, a lot of ticks, come off weird, high-pitched voice, bad jokes, weird transitions. Like, how, I mean, how does life move? A lot of times if I come off stage and I'm, like, really full of myself and, you know, like, high on how much I rocked them, if I taped it, uh, I'm coming off as, like, too egotistical and uh, too 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 much on stage. And then the sets that I get off and I'm like, how was that? And you're like, I, I really have no idea. Then you watch it and you're like, oh, shit, my timing was really on there, mm -hmm. you know? The, like the less aware you are of like what's going on or your control over the situation, the more looking back, you you don't see someone who's greatly trying to control the situation. And also helps when you moment. don't record yourself as well. But I try to tape almost all my sets. I just sets. record the audio of every set I do. Now. You videotape all yeah, your sets? Yeah, I got, a little, I got a little folding tripod that's really easy. You just throw your iPhone on there. And there's no reason not to. I, I was mean, afraid someone's going to steal it during an hour set. I've never heard about of that. that happening. I know. I know. But I'm neurotic. Gangster. And I'll find you, motherfucker, if you touch my phone, because I'm a gangster as well. You understand that part. Uh-huh. So there's that. Uh, there's that. Uh, you want to discuss the decline of Jimmy Fallon. You read a story about that. I'm not going to yell that one, because I'm not happy about it. I like Jimmy Fallon, but explain it to me what that means. And why don't you just keep your uh, browser up there, so you don't have to search for 30, 40 seconds each time I bring one of these stories up. It's yes, very true. I should. Why keep true. closing that browser? Checking out our, our very important backup recording that you wanted me to make. Well, I get it, but it's nice <laughs> to have a backup at the same I time. I get it, but... I'll kazoo the time away. No, I didn't tell you to do that, but I didn't mean do that. Don't judge my kazoo. That's a bro kazoo i can get a better kazoo i always have a second kazoo we're taking a kazoo break in just a couple feet away and there it is isn't that much more beautiful that sounds much more beautiful yeah uh, okay, so do, do you watch a lot of the late night stuff? No, I, you told you encouraged me to start watching Colbert's monologues. I watched that a bit. That's about all. Well, like, like my my advice, my specific advice Your was advice. Colbert and uh, Seth Meyers and Kimmel post just the. I mean, they post the whole show on YouTube, like almost right after it airs. But they post them in different segments, right? So once you subscribe to their feeds, you just refresh YouTube every day, and boom, there's just Col Colbert's monologue, or boom, there's just sets uh closer look right. segments or just you know so you can watch just the monologues in a very easy fashion it's a great way mm -hmm. to keep up with the part of the show that i think you're engaging with and to that point the polit the politicization the word is politicization what you said that's the of word. late night television is now greatly affecting the nielsen ratings and viewership for the, the late night host, because you remember like two years ago, Fallon was unstoppable. Yeah, people were loving him throwing yes. eggs on Tom Hanks, uh, Tom Cruise's face. And yeah, songs with a lot of silly games, children's instruments and stuff. But after Trump got elected and Colbert found his voice, uh, he has been eating away. Well, Colbert is the number one watched host in late night. However, he is not the number one watched host among a younger demographic. You keep sounding to me like you're saying watch toast. Watch toast. Like, you can just watch somebody make toast. But that's not what you're saying, so ignore that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Fallon had all the younger, the, the younger people <laughs> that the advertisers want, the 18 to 49-year-olds. Right. But as of last week's sweep sweep, 
Fallon's lead is just down to, and this is just in the younger demographic. Colbert basically owns owns it. Colbert wins it across yeah. overall, overall rating. Overall, but above the younger demographics, and of course everyone wants the younger demographics. It's been Fallon's game, but that lead just shrunk to just about fifty five thousand people, which, if you consider the total numbers, is wait, what? Yeah, fifty five thousand people in in, in what? the young in the younger and just in the younger demo, like the young that he's leading by. Yeah. Oh. Fallon's younger audience has been migrating to Colbert wow. as politics has seeped more and more into our everyday but, life. But does that mean that they're all also very anti-Trump? Because Colbert couldn't be more seethingly anti-Trump. Oh yeah, he's seethingly yeah. anti-Trump. I mean, if you're going to watch Colbert, you're definitely left-leaning, or at least don't, or at least hate hate Trump. Right. Um, you could be right-leaning and hate Trump. I feel like any human being that has any care for like the standards of what this country was based upon but the, the thing very is, moral fiber of anything or even just cares to live in a world that has a sense of reality and facts and a sense of truth and not wants to and, and and does not want to give up what has always been the real world for this post-truth era that we have so disgustingly accepted you might like colbert here's the thing i don't think trump supporters are watching late night television. I think if you're watching, still, still watching Fox. Well, they're watching Fox news because that's that's kind of the state run media that they've been programmed to believe is one of the only mainstream outlets that is not, not one of the only mainstream outlet that is not quote unquote lying to them. Anyone who supports Trump has basically written off media as a whole because of his, I don't know, daily tweets about the complete and utter fabrication of everything outside of the the few select sources he's telling you are not fake news because they're the only ones that are really friendly to to trump i clicked on a just a a drudge report tweet right today randomly and just scrolled into the replies right and someone someone had posted a graphic that listed every like media source ever you know cnn nbc abc you know wapo and new york times um, and even some like right leaning that you'd think like the New York Post, every media outlet ever and it said, all of these are fake news by the mainstream media. Do not believe anything that they say. Who posted that? Just, it was just some random reply right. to a Drudge Report thread, but it was this graphic. The only real ones are Breitbart, Fox News and Steve Bannon's asshole. Yeah. And they just found out that one of the a editors. A lot of people do say Steve Bannon's asshole is, is, is the more unfettered true version of steve bannon's did you see today that one of the editors at breitbart was also found to be one of the admins of a big white supremacist facebook group well that at that point this point i just obvious makes obvious sense yeah but the the real the real problem of this entire thing is that the reason he's holding on to what supporters he has is because he has completely convinced them that they are living in some bizarro reality and he is the only, you know, beacon of truth. In How did he this. do that? How did he all of a sudden, just by being brazen during a campaign, convince everybody that facts in front of their own ears and eyes are not those things? Dude, have you seen his rallies, man? Did you see what they were like? Did you see the like the Nazi-esque level of support in those people? I saw them. I get well, it. But, once you but, get involved on such a visceral level, you can't change course. It's that- emotion versus brain. That's the whole problem. And Bill Mark keeps talking about it. And I've talked about it in this podcast for years now even well before the era of Trump at least running for office, is you cannot fight. Obviously, you must bring a gun to a gunfight. You cannot let people who are trying to, for their own greedy interest, dismantle the very fabric of what our nation stands for. Yeah, okay, but you, you, you can't reply to what? that in a polite way because you're a polite what? dude. You have to fight fire with fire. You got to use the same emotional, visceral tactics okay. to connect. Okay. Otherwise, wait, wait, you will wait, lose wait. and we'll be living okay. in an orange-haired landscape. Okay. Hold on. Hear me out. 
All of what you said is right. However, that was about four sentences too long for someone to comprehend right, who is right, not as intelligent right. as you are. So the second you start monologuing like that, making valid points, they tune out. They feel condescended, too. And then when nothing makes sense in the world because it doesn't, you turn to emotion because that's the only thing that's viscerally yours anymore. So how do you shorten that down to a soundbite, my little rant there? Uh... That's going to have to be up to you, and that's what the left has not figured out yet. The reason he won is because he said, make America great again. Anyone can How understand about that. If you don't believe in facts, you're a pussy. There you go. I mean, literally, something there like that go. might help. If put you it, don't believe in facts, you're a pussy. Just, yeah, put it How on a like hat. That? Put that on a hat. The point is, he's... Make facts non-pussy like again. He spoke to all the people... I'm going to work on it and narrow it down, but that's a good first draft. He, spelled, he's, he spoke to all the people like who were in the back of the classroom that, you know, let's just say you have a learning disability and you, your brain is just not grasping all the shit that's being said to you and you begin to feel like you're being made fun of. He was the person that said, this whole classroom is making fun of you. That's fucked up. Follow me. I will never do that to you. I am you. And Even though he, he says it in ways that still must be insulting. Like, they didn't mind when he's like, I'm a big fan of the poorly educated. I love, the, I, I love the poorly educated. See, the thing is, that doesn't matter because that pisses you and me off and all they want to see. And they're is like, I, I am poorly educated. They, they don't even think to, they don't, they, it's not something that is a thought process for them because they just see someone who is pissing off the people who they feel have been condescending to them forever and, are openly embracing them in his movement. And the only part that I will, uh, I will, and I still respect and, 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 and listen to and want to understand further. And I do not disregard the part of Trump's supporters that do it because who acknowledge he's bananas and acknowledge that he's a liar and acknowledge that he is unfit for, for the, for at least it's not a presidential human being. But they say, we've tried everything else and nothing works and we really need help. We really are stuck here in an immobile lower class or an immobile middle class and we don't have a way out. And so we need to try something, shake up the system. Those are the Trump supporters that I, I, I believe in. I understand them. And I think there's a chance to get them back because a lot of people lately are saying, give up on them. Give up on all Trump supporters and just try to get more people who didn't vote who are more moderate or centrist or conservative or liberal I but just aren't think Trump And I think there still is that chunk of them that I think I get think what, it, what but might, also think there's no other option that can help because they've what tried might it. convince them over, you know, maybe a little bit more time is Trump's real complete lack of actual action in the issues that riled them up, you know, economic, you know, prosperity, jobs and in, in real uh, in real positions, Trump is not. A, he hasn't created any. No, but the only thing you can say positively I think if is you, that if you were the from, stock market is going up and up and up and up. Although I hear from people who are a lot smarter and richer than me that the main reason for it is because they so are convinced that Trump will get nothing done legislatively. It's the first time that they don't think there's going to be big changes to what's going on yeah. in the economic situation so they can plan and for the, the new the new so they can plan for the future. And the new tax bill. Well, that's a cuts, shit show. Cuts corporate trying taxes to pass the by new tax 10%. Bill. And I'm not against that. I do think we have to compete in a corporate tax landscape with other countries. But what I do not think is you should not cut out middle class people's mortgage deduction, mortgage interest deduction, their property tax deduction. I don't think you should be able to 
make a tax plan. So that's not the part that bothers me. The part that bothers me is that people making under $75,000 a year will actually, after about one year, be hurt by the tax plan. Those are the things that I can't understand why they can get their head around it. I well, get I mean, not wanting look, to squash business. We do have to compete with other countries better. The real brilliance of the Republican Party, the absolute brilliance of the Republican Party, is consistently getting lower-class whites to follow them almost like a Pied Piper right. and and basically spearhead an agenda that is completely parallel to what would actually help them, but continue fall, you know. Because for some reason, those wedge issues, those emotional, cultural issues still work so well. Scapegoating of people, when you of think minorities, of gay people, of, of anybody different than themselves, for some reason still works when they, they don't understand that that's not gay people getting married or transgender people using a, the bathroom has never affected your job. One way or another, right? They it just has never they just, affected your job in any respect. They just see their country changing so rapidly, and it's very easy for someone to say, "I am here to roll America back to when it was great again." And what does that mean? The sixties? Do you see that clip when Ronald Reagan also says, "We're going to make America great again"? No. Exact words. Really? So, I mean, a lot of history does repeat itself. Ugh, Trump and he was no an old Reagan. man who was a TV star and who rode to to office on a populist wave and an anger in the country and a need to mix things up. But yeah, he was a smart man. He was a caring person, uh, despite you know certain certain problems like unleashing people from mental wards and creating our homeless problem and creating our drug problem to a large degree, blowing out of control. Nice guy, great at speeches. But that's the thing with Trump, too. He's not great at speeches English-wise, but he's very good at riling up a crowd. The guy's a brilliant, very brilliant communicator in in a way to speak to his audience, to crowds, at sloganeering. He instinctively understands sloganeering much better than any politician I've seen in my lifetime. It's he's, insane. He's a brilliant trust fund kid. That depressing Trump moment that is now done, <laughs> thank you, is brought to you by Key Lime LaCroix, the worst flavor of LaCroix humanly possible, Key Lime. It actually tastes like Key Lime pie, and I should have realized that before buying it, but it's all I have now, and I'm thirsty. Key Lime LaCroix. Ew. And speaking of people who's... You can cross them off the sponsor list. Brains, I don't... I, know, I love all the other flavors. Big fan of LaCroix flavors. I keep it real about LaCroix. I don't have to be... But anyway, they don't sponsor me. So, uh, Jersey Shore coming back. Oh, God. Huffington Post reports. Re, a reboot on MTV for 2018. A little run of episodes. Uh, shut down five years ago. But it will be the original cast of the show. They yeah, used to get a, 9 million viewers an episode. It's Sally Ann, we both work with. Our friend Sally Ann at 495 Productions, excited for them. We did a, a you and I did a hidden camera pilot together that got seen by nobody. 9 million for a cable show. It's pretty amazing. I watched it. I never watched it. Was it was so entertaining. I watched the clips where Snooki got punched. That was kind of fun. Yeah, that. Not in a supporting of women getting punched way, just like, you know, she was an insane person and it made for good reality TV. She was glad about it and made her a millionaire. She really got decked. She did get decked pretty hard. I, I, I feel bad about saying that. I wish she was never hit by anybody. But, you know, it's made her li made her career. If she didn't get punched, I don't think that show would have been as big. You can, you can find a quote of, of a producer basically saying that, that that incident 
launch the show into what it is. Didn't she also like have a bunch of babies on during the show and like no, was brawling with people during babies the and show. there were no babies in the wrestling show. Wrestling with babies and crocodiles. Was, Am I misremembering the show? There was a lot of an attempt to make babies with uh no, you know Smash and Bra. Smash bra GTL. Get that fucking <laughs> D in that P bro. <laughs> they didn't say that. You never watched the show? I did not watch the show. You know what GTL stands for? Jim Tan Laundry. All right. Because I'm aware of cultural references sometimes, but... They introduced DTF into the the public zeitgeist. Did we? Yeah, they they? did. Yep. DTF was them? I think so. Really? Correct me if I'm wrong, Podcast of Fear, but I'm I'm pretty sure Jersey Shore Douse the Fun? What's Podcast of Fear? <laughs> douse the Fun? What'd you say? Douse the Fun, bro. <laughs> DTF. Let's douse the fun. That means you got to bring the party down. It's it's too no, much. No, I meant like, like you douse gas- like a fire with gasoline to make it go up. Oh. <laughs> douse, it with, douse it with gasoline. The gasoline's uh, silent in right. the acronym. Uh. DTF. Douse the Fun. Maybe Douse the Fun could be the name of the episode. No, it's going to be 200th episode. Donuts probably. Thursday, Frank? Uh, don't try it, friend. <laughs> okay? Okay? Hey, man, did you know you could uh, put a, a can of soup in a microwave? Hey, DTF. Don't try frying it. What's that DTF mean? Don't try it, friend, what you just said. Oh. Don't try it, friend. So just for any warning, you don't want... But then there's the I. hate people don't count a letter in an acronym. It's oh, like, yeah. we expect you not to count little words. Like, just <laughs> fucking think of a better acronym. <laughs> You know, or don't try comma friend or something could work. Don't try friend. That works. Acronym wise. Can you put punctuation in an acronym? I don't know the answer to that. We only have one last story before we're going to go to our very special interview with General Wesley Clark. But even before that, I want to quickly tell you that I will be coming to Fort Worth, Texas Hyenas Comedy Club November 30th through December 2nd. My Thursday show is free. Uh, Tampa. Side Splitters Comedy Club, Tampa, Florida, making up for the shows I had to cancel days before Hurricane Maria hit there, and they canceled the shows on me. I didn't even have a choice. So I'm um, finally making those dates up, January 24th through 27, and dates coming up as well, soon to be announced next week on the podcast in Lake Tahoe, Indio, California, Minneapolis, Phoenix, Edmonton, San Diego, Boston. Stay tuned to my Twitter for dates on that. Go to BenGlebe.com for dates. You can buy tickets right there at BenGlebe.com. I'm still doing shitloads of Instagram stories every day, so follow me on there. Yes. At Ben the Morrison on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. What else on everything. You, what else would you like to plug? I think, honestly, I've been working on this TV show called Funny You Should Ask for almost two years now. It's on uh, every day. It finally debuted just a few months ago. In most markets. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Louis Anderson's on every episode. John Lovett's on every episode. Celebrity guests. It's a, it's a celebrity trivia game show. And it's on every day. And it's just rapid-fire trivia. Rapid-fire one-liners that are just delivered by today's top stand-ups. And you'll love it. Just go to funnyyoushouldask.tv to find out uh, where it airs near you. Or just search your uh, your cable listings. It should be on error day. You will love the show. I love that. And um, you know what we're going to do, Ben? What? We're going to do, instead of the last story here in the regular news segment of the podcast, uh-huh. what we're going to do is we're going to do quickly Twitter answers. And then we're going to do a two-story thunder round. And then the interview General Wesley Clark, just so we can end with that. Because I think it's going to be very hard to follow that. Yeah, and we're not going to follow that. It's going to be very hard to follow this amazing talk with General Wesley Clark that I'll introduce in a moment. So, <laughs> Wow, Wesley Clark, what an incredible talk. So, uh, Monkeys are being dicks again. Monkeys are monkeying around. How, how come monkeys are uh, such dicks? Uh, how come, why are they dicks? Can someone explain it? <laughs> we should have ended I like that we're Clark. making fun of what we actually just... <laughs> are about to do the thunder round. But first, 
As always, we check in with the Glebe of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the B Glebers in all of us, <laughs> the Brain Trust, the Friends with Benefits, the Glebe Nation, the Glebe Mob, the Glob, the other nicknames. We need to think of new ones. Tweet them at me, at Ben Glebe. It's the Thunder. It's, no, it's not. It's been a while. Sorry. It's Twitter Answers. <laughs> All right, what's up, Brain Trust? I asked y'all this week for the triumphant 200th episode return to the podcast. I said, what's the most interesting thing you've done during the last six months? My favorite answers, of course, and I, of course, hashtag Twitter answers as always. That's how you can find the question of the week if you missed the tweet. Uh, and here are some answers. I'd love your thoughts on them, Ben. At uh, Kelsey TX2H2 said, went to China, ate McDonald's. So I said, how was it? Anything different at Mickey D's over there? She replied, I had a side of corn and peach ice cream cone sundae. Surprisingly tasty. I don't even know why that'd be surprising. She uploaded a picture of it. I I almost licked the screen. It looked amazing. Would you like a peach ice cream sundae? Yeah. Are you able to handle uh, dairy? Because you seem like somebody wouldn't be able to handle dairy. I got to take it easy. Couple licks though. Is that right? You're gonna lick your ice cream like a little schoolgirl in the British countryside? Whoa, Ben. Me too. <laughs> oh God. You're dead. There we go. It's, that's the Ben I miss. That is the Ben I miss. That's a positive change at least happening in our society is we're, we're finally trying to correct some of the sexual harassment bullshit. It's just in. That women have Men are scum. Yeah, have been for a long time. For so long. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I wouldn't, I think scum is a strong word to categorize this as a whole, but men are animals. We're fucking animals. And we've been allowed to be animals. And so it has created a culture of behavior that women have had to deal with forever. And society like created an environment they weren't able or allowed to speak up or they were allowed, but they weren't encouraged to speak up. And so they kept quiet about it for fear of losing jobs for fear of losing respect, for fear of being complainers about it. And then it also enabled people to be far worse than dicks or animals and be, you know, abusers, serial harassers, assaulters. And thankfully, that's all coming out. I think it's so great. Anybody who has, who has, who has, you know, tried to, to manipulate their power in life or their position or just the fact that they're a man even to make women feel intimidated, scared, uncomfortable in in a way that they shouldn't have to be made to feel. I'm so glad that that's finally changing, and I hope we can stick with that and find new cultural norms for behavior. I like that quick little side. I didn't plan on tackling that topic today, but you have any thoughts on that? Just thought I respect women. That's it? Yeah. Thanks, Ben. You're really eloquent on that topic. Thanks so much. Cable Guy Chris at CBL Guy Chris 2. Oh, that's just CBL Guy Chris. Also, there's no 2H2 at the end of Kelsey TX. I think it was said two hours ago. Is what that meant. I pasted it on my thing. What? Anyway, don't worry about it. Uh, cable guy Chris says he watched his 17-year-old graduate six months early and signed his contract to join the Army. He ships in May, graduates Friday. Oh, yeah? Wow. So congratulations to both of you, and thank you so much for your service to your to your son or daughter. You didn't mention the sex of, of the young man or woman, but thank you for protecting our country. Like, no matter how crazy the times are, why you have to support our troops always is because they do it without politics. They defend our nation blindly and with great courage, much more than I have. So definitely much more than Ben has, I assure you that. So much more. I mean, Ben r- runs from a fruit fight 
it's not true. I just wanted to use you as a scapegoat and that to make that point. And I apologize to you. I hate fruit fights. Have you ever been in a fruit fight? <laughs> no. Wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. One of my favorite Jay-Z lyrics, he insults somebody with that line. It's a good one. Donna Heisey at Donna Heisey says, waiting for new episodes of Idiot Test was the most interesting things during the last six months. And let's hope that happens. We're hoping for a season five pickup. I think we've got a decent shot at it. Please tweet at GSN and let them know that you love Idiot Test. It's at Idiot Test Show, I-D-I-O-T-E-S-T Show. Uh, please tweet at GSN and for real, let them know because I don't know that we're going to get picked up for sure. We're probably on the fence because the network's changing a bit, their strategy. And so please, please let them know in a barrage of tweets. It's actually quite important to me if you do like the show and want to see more of it, that you let them know that you want to see more and how much you care about it. And, and if it doesn't come back, might I recommend, funny you should ask. It's <laughs> very hurtful. That's... Very hurtful. You can also still watch Neurotic Gangster on Showtime, yeah. on demand, anytime. And also, my whole Neurotic Gangster album is just released on Spotify. You can listen oh, yeah. there for free, that or I Apple Music, or you can buy it on iTunes. It's fire. Legit. People who have not heard it, it is a fire hour of comedy. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, Megan Edge, our old friend at Not Megan Edge, says she committed to reading one nonfiction book a week for the last 21 weeks. A book still a week? on track. I don't know how that's humanly possible. It takes me literally like a year or two to read a book. Wow. I don't know how you get through books. There's too many words. It's an overwhelming reading. number of words. Do books have uh, have Netflix? <laughs> Do, uh, no, but they have audio, I believe. You have audio books, and you can hear it real fast, so it takes Don't all flavor hate? and detail out of it and all sensation. Don't you hate when someone's like, oh, God, I'm reading this incredible book. You're like, oh, yeah? What page are you on? You're like, well, it's an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on... Hour four of 27. Why do you say, like, oh, God, someone's reading this incredible book to me when I drive to work? <laughs> I know. I think people still say reading. I don't think they mean reading usually. So it's kind it's of weird. Like, it's been like, God, I'm listening to this great book. You, but you know say what? that. I don't think any – you could say it. But I don't think anybody ever needed to know, are your eyes doing it? It's about the information <laughs> getting in your head. They're not like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You learned the exact words through your ears, not through <laughs> yeah. your eyes. You're a fucking illiterate idiot. Ear learning's bullshit. Ear learning's for <laughs> pussies. Ear learning's for pussies. That could be another way to come Ear learning's for queers. Trump's talk. <laughs> I got a book called Can You Hear Me Now, Queer? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not hear that one audio book because that's a grading character you created right there. A grading offensive character. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is why they hate us. Because the second we do an imitation of someone ignorant, we start talking like, what an asshole, man. Me. I'm sorry. I really am. And related to that, I'm going to Fort Worth, Texas in two days. <laughs> so come see me there. Come on out and do some ear laughing. <laughs> <laughs> ear laughing is a very underrated kind of laughing. It's silent, but deadly. I know when I see ears widthing like a hippo in the water, I'm really killing that crap. Or, or, I'm, or I'm drowning in a river of hippos and I'm about to be eaten. By large, angry hippos. A river of hippos. A river of hippos, may a.k.a. You may you get trampled in a river of hippos. <laughs> <laughs> a river of hippos is not what I've no, no, typically known my fan base to be, but it could be. I don't oh, you really got a know. sexy fan base. Thank you. Your fans are. Thank you for saying that. Hot. Thank you for seeing that. Okay, so quickly now we're going to go to uh, Twitter. Uh, where did that? I mean, I don't forget remember how this podcast works. It's been so long. <laughs> I'm going to get the dust off them wheels. Don't you worry. See, I do for my own self, I do that kind of accent yeah. too. This is my own inner monologue. I think we're all the same. <laughs> and I, I respect queers and non queers. 
Hey, like that character. Let's make it like like our suicidal Guido. We're gonna do a very open minded, progressive. Well, have you seen my hero many bit about this? How, picky like, dude. People are gonna hate. You just gotta they're just not hating the right shit. Like Charlottesville would have been a little different. He's like, I believe in the complete and utter extermination of cancer from the face of this earth. White blood cell power. It's a plot that has been affecting people of all colors equally. And that's how we know we're all the same and are susceptible, vulnerable human beings. My daddy hated cancer. My great granddaddy. And I'm not going to stop until it is exterminated from the face of this earth. Yeah. That guy fucking hates cancer. If you have to hate why not swap out something we, good? Yeah, we can put that anger somewhere. I don't <laughs> mind that. Cancer will not replace us. I'm here. I'm not going to stop until I completely exterminate Ticketmaster service fees from the face of this earth. <laughs> 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 They're applied upon society. <laughs> They're always creeping up on you. When you least expect it, all of a sudden you're about to check out of a store online and then boom, Ticketmaster fee robs you. Fifteen dollars, motherfucker, the ticket was twelve. You're the loudest voice. That's just the peaking on levels never before seen in podcasts. I'm not going to stop Please until we stop it. clicking on our mic. iPhone recorder. I already recorder. have the mic so far from your mouth and it's getting worse and worse. You've been just as loud as louder than your voice. You've been just as loud as You don't understand me. still to this day. We can literally how, go you, to the waveform. to this day, I can, I can see do it. An amplitude look at me look at me check. look at me talking look at me and look at you i can do the only thing louder than your voice is your character voices <laughs> your characters hit well you. then that's not me man oh god oh, <laughs> that's god. the spurt leaping out of me it's disgusting <laughs> uh on that very disgusting note it's time for the thunder round thunder round India's punishment for plant-eating donkeys, jail time, motherfucker. New York Times reports via the at UK Brain Trust Twitter account, thanks to the British Bureau of this fine podcast, Chris Carter, eight donkeys in India had spent four days in jail recently. <laughs> Their crime, devouring expensive saplings. I don't know what saplings are, but I think they're a plant, probably. The Indian government's been on a cleanliness kick, and the Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, has vowed to build tens of millions of toilets and clean up garbage, but starting with donkeys who are making a mess. Quote, and I will not do an Indian accent for this, because that probably would be a generic Indian accent, and it wouldn't be his voice, and there, therefore it would be uh, offensive. I don't even know if the Prime Minister is a man or a woman, to be honest. Wait, can I read it in an Indian accent? Uh, I'll allow you to do that. We but, had warned, is that what it starts? Yeah. <clears throat> We had warned the donkey owners a couple of times, but they didn't pay heed, said R.K. Mishra, a police constable, according to an interview that was broadcast on an Indian news channel. Now, also weigh in. Tell us, isn't it just a generic Indian accent offensive? That sounded like a pretty accurate I tried to do a very accurate Indian, Indian accent, accent to me. I'm not going to do up who. It didn't seem offensive. What you so have to do, do is... Uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do it in an... In an don't, in, no, no, don't, don't. No, I can do it just as, just, just as detailed and I don't think this subtly. is going to turn out the way you think it's gonna going to. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Hey, bro, I'm Indian, bro. <laughs> you get it? No, okay, I'll do it. Watch. We had warned the donkey owners a couple of times, but they did not pay heat. No. What's wrong with that? was good, right? No. I was doing just like an older, more effeminate Indian. You are basically... Because, because there's a range of Indians doing, out there. There's not one kind of Indian. You were doing Apu, and you were not... Uh, I was not doing Apu. I was doing a particular, like a professor. He's an Indian professor, man. He's an Indian professor, man. <laughs> or he's a guy with a stroke. <laughs> it's possible. See, that's what's difficult about 
I'm not going to dive back into that. Okay, so anyway, um, do you think it's fair to punish a donkey? Because I saw these donkeys walk out and pray. Uh, you want to know an interesting? Their, their head was down. They were depressed. It looked like they learned a lesson, but also looked like the life had been been taken from them, like the the zest of their step. They had they had they had the he, but not the ha. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> what do you think? You think this is fair to the donkeys? Yeah, I don't, yeah sure. I don't give a fuck. <clears throat> you know, interesting fact. <clears throat> despite uh, just because I know I do trivia all day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, despite cows being sacred in India, India is also the world's number one exporter of beef. Is that true? I totally would never have thought that, but it is, yeah. That's why everybody in India is walking around saying, where's the beef? <laughs> where's the it? beef? Okay, now you're bordering <laughs> on, you're kind of generalizing the accent. Welcome around. back to Big Leaves Racist Podcast. <laughs> Who said that? You did. And you're not going to be invited back unless I don't book a guest again, then FYI, you're welcome back. my audio didn't peak during that. Yeah, because it was a quieter character that you created. Still offensive, but quieter. And that's at least part nice. When asked for comment, the donkey said, <laughs> Huh? That was a showstopper. That hey Ben podcast. Uh, you heard joke. about that uh, that uh, that guy who's gonna uh, build his own uh, rocket and launch himself in it? That's funded by flat earthers. I briefly heard, but share with us. Okay, well, I sometimes you just kind of <laughs> man plans to launch himself in homemade rocket funded by flat earthers coming to you from Huffington Post. Quote, I don't believe in science, said limo driver Mad Mike Hughes. He's very mad. He's very mad. <laughs> oh, update. Hughes essentially built uh, a rocket. Uh, 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 he's a self-taught scientist and built, built a rocket. He was going to launch himself in it to prove that the Earth is flat. Uh, but apparently, uh, November 25, update, uh, he had to postpone his planned launch uh, for the time being. He said he was uh, unable to obtain the required permits to launch himself into the air on a homemade rocket. Oh, are there permits that you can get? Yeah. He, he just didn't clear the approval process? <laughs> I'm here to, to, for the homemade launch pad. Hall pass? You're going to go to floor three, uh, room 33, homemade rocket. And lock yourself in there, clearance. you dumb fuck. <laughs> I don't... Flat Earthers When asked really... for comment, by the way, he said, I really wish that I could possibly launch myself because we're all Indian. Rocket man! <laughs> um, flat Earthers, yeah. So, so, and how's that supposed to prove the Earth is flat to launch yourself in a rocket? I think it's just because... If he falls over the edge, he's gonna we go. know the Earth is flat? I don't know, man. <laughs> is he going to do it near the edge? I don't get their logic. Because if he's going to do it near the edge, he'd be able to see an edge and just wouldn't need the launch. I saw a really good graphic disproving flat Earthers, right? And imagine it, okay, it was like a globe. It's called a photo of the planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the graphic was a photo of Earth. Okay, okay. Which we have for the last 60 years. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Right. But it, even, they don't even believe that. They think it's all fake. Okay. So it showed the globe, and then on the top of it, it showed like a desk lamp shining down on, you know, the top of the globe, i.e. the sun. And on the top, it said day, because the sun was shining on it. And on the bottom, it said night. And then it showed like a flat cylinder of the Earth, and it just said day, 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 day. If the Earth is flat, where the fuck is night? Listen, it's a very interesting, well-made point <laughs> you made. But you told me that earlier that three sentences was too confusing for people who use visceral emotions. Okay. You're going to try to use and a globe and lamps. No, 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 no. You've already no. lost anti-science no. people. If the Earth is flat, where the fuck is night? Whoa. Mm-hmm. You still didn't get them. You got me, but you didn't get them. Come on, dude. You see my point? Come on, dude. That's an interesting point. Like, how would... The, no, I think they would just say, clouds cover the sun. <laughs> or they'd say, the sun moves. The sun travels away. It's easy answers to that shit. 
Wait, now the sun is rotating around the flat earth? Maybe the sun's got a nightshade. <laughs> These guys just... No, it's just rotating away. It's got a sunshade. It draws the blinds. Well, if, we have, if we have drapes here on earth, how come we can't have sunshades on the sun? It's made to shade the sun. The sun can have its own sunshade. We can only have sunshades? Did you ask yourself that? White Jewish liberal east slash uh, west coast comedian? Do you see the answers? Do you see how it works? When, when, when given evidence of this very simple to understand earth is flat then where does the sun go experiment the people who believe that the earth is flat responded <laughs> <laughs> you get it because yeah, they're donkeys because uh... they're jackasses and on that <laughs> note um we are going to go to a very exciting moment I'd like to thank you, Ben, for being here, first of all. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. God, your voice is loud. It's incredibly loud. <laughs> your, your vaping was quieter this episode, but <laughs> Dude, Jesus, your voice. Yeah. Like, it's great I if... Leave you would... Like, if we ever need a town crier, you're the guy. It's like, you, your, your whisper could wake up the moon. I have a really loud voice, and I'm like... Almost yeah. deaf in one ear. So, so how do you claim we have the same levels on the? It makes no sense. You have inconsistency. Because I argument. respect because women. I respect. It's like that really needs to be like you're trying to to give woman an, an orgasm through the vibrations of your voice, like Howard Stern in Private Parts. You want to hear everyone's impression of me? Here we go. This is Ben Morrison. Ben Morrison, me whispering. Here's Ben Morrison whispering now. <laughs> now I'm whispering. Why are you talking louder? I'm deaf in one ear. It's got nothing to do with being deaf at all. Watch, you, you, you can talk quieter sometimes, right? Oh, yeah, I guess so. But, but, but still, I, I'd like to never learn to modulate my voice and just use this as an excuse. Because deaf people are the same as Indian people, are the same as gay people, are the same as women, are the same as racist people. We're all people, just some of us are racist. I've always said that. And that you can live by that quote. Okay? The only ones you need to be aware of are the racists. Everybody else is good people. So, one of those good people is a wonderful American who I will let myself introduce more properly in a moment um, when I introduce him in front of the stage. But to set the stage for you, I was asked to do a very cool thing at a very exclusive private conference that is never before any part of the Summit conference. I've talked before about Summit series, but I've never been able to release any content from it. No one has. Um, it's a multi-thousand dollar conference. People pay four to five thousand dollars to attend this three-day conference. Different places they charter cruise ships, they do it on the mountain that they own in Utah. This one happened to be in downtown LA, but still it's that insane price point. And they have incredible, crazy speakers at the exact time as my panel with General Wesley Clark. There was Shonda Rhimes doing a talk. There was Kobe Bryant doing a talk with Cal Fussman, the legendary Esquire writer, my friend Mary, who is a, uh, uh, financial journalist was interviewing this like Bond King. It's an amazing group of people they bring together. And they, for some reason, let me interview a four-star general, former NATO allied Supreme Commander Europe, General Wesley Clark. And have an, it was called a four-star general and a comedian discuss the politics of war. And we discussed North Korea. Obviously, the one news story we didn't touch on yet was the huge launch today of North Korea's longest, biggest rocket that now carrying what they called, quote, a super heavy warhead on top that went much higher in the air and further, really almost hit Japan, only a few hundred miles from the shore of Japan. And um, North Korea ain't gonna bomb anyone. Well, they say <clears throat> that this weapon theoretically couldn't even hit D.C. or Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, but the point is, like, he'd have to pick the one city he wanted to wipe out before the end of North Korea as we knew it. Right. He makes any move. 
and that country disappears. It gets bombed into the Stone Age. He's never going to knock. He's never going to nuke a city. He just wants to show the world that he is a nuclear power so he can get sanctions lifted and be taken seriously on a world stage. Right now, the, the, the sanctions are crippling the country. Well, He's if, thinking if he can make it clear that he actually has real juice, then they'll actually come to the table. If that's what you think, it might that might be what you're doing. I was listening to a conservative AM host today driving home who's just the most radical wackadoo you've ever heard. But he made the point. He goes, Kim, he goes, he's a rational man. What he remembers is Muammar Gaddafi who disarmed and then later was shot in the face and wants to say, we actually have real weapons here. Well, I would I'm, agree that he's more rational than Trump just in his actions. I mean, even just seems like a nicer dude, If you, even though he obviously is like starving his people, but just from like disposition from media image, whenever you see Trump, he's angry he's tweeting from the bathroom at two in the morning and kim jong-un every piece of footage of him he's laughing he's hugging people when the when the rocket launches go well he seems like a very jovial guy very jovial um so but general wesley clark had a very if that's what kim jong-un is doing he may be drastically miscalculating because you'll hear what wesley clark thinks is going on from the trump administration's point of view with regards to north korea and it's quite frightening and uh we also discussed the concept of of Regime change, difference between politics and the military, and which one is a scarier environment. Um, money and politics, and that quagmire, the concept of fake news, if there's any way to possibly bring the nation together, and surprisingly, his desire to do stand up comedy. And the one thing that the, the panel, which was sold out, people sitting on the floor, there were about 250 people in this, in this conference hall. You drop your vape? Um, <laughs> in this conference hall. I dropped my vape. Um, and, uh, and people sitting on the floor, but you couldn't get into the panel. You were at Summit. I came, and I was like, the moderator's like bestie. And they were like, I'm sorry, sir. There was, there was literally no room there was in the no room. room. And so, um, and we promised also that we would discuss the politics of war, the effectiveness of, of regime change, and what generals eat for breakfast. And I forgot to ask him that oh, during man. the talk. So All the things you listed, that's yeah. the only thing I want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily... Afterwards, I asked him that question when the talk was done. I said, oh, he was talking to people afterwards. I said, General, I forgot to ask you, what do you eat for breakfast? And he goes, oats, steel cut. Really? Yeah. Did he say that? But I think he was joking. Like he prepared that. Oh, right. That was yeah. part of it. And that was kind of a funny answer. So without further ado, and a more proper intro of me now introducing at this panel, never before heard, there'll be a little Q&A at the end of it, but a very interesting one-on-one -on -one conversation for about one hour with me and... General Wesley Clark. And might I say, before we start, 200 episodes. Congratulations. That is a huge milestone. And I really look forward to the, the next 200 of LWOE. Thank you, my brother. With BG. Thank you so much, man. I really couldn't have done it without you. You've been a huge part of it. Without my parents, without Bridget Wood Woodbury at B. Woodbury tweeting out quotes of the podcast. Without Chris Carter at, at UK Brain Trust, giving me a lot of the funny stories for the Thunder Round. And of course, most importantly, without the Brain Trust, without all of you listening to the podcast for six years now. The loyal listeners that have stuck with me, even though my sporadic schedule that I promise you, at least for the indefinite future, is gone. I will be doing it weekly as a thank you to you guys. It's been a labor of love for me from the beginning. I've never made a penny in this podcast. I lose money every week on the podcast. I pay to get it edited. I just to get the sound effects put into it, the sound theme songs. I pay um, for many parts of the podcast that. Um, so I do it just because I love it, and I love to um, to 
entertain you and inform you and have a discussion with the audience. Thunder, uh, the Twitter answers has always been Twitter answers instead of Twitter questions because I want to hear answers to my questions of the audience. Um, and when you ever, you guys come to my standup shows, every single city I go to, while I'm still not yet at a place in my career where I'm selling out every city I go to in every single city for the last six years, there are a handful of people that have driven hours every time we drove three hours, we drove six hours, we drove 12 hours from Canada to see your show. And I tell them every time brain trust and thank you so much for being part of it. And, uh, I truly wouldn't do it without all of you and without this great, uh, relationship we've had and you guys depend, uh, you know, not depending on me because I've been inconsistent, but trusting me to bring you an entertaining, engaging, hopefully and at times thought provoking, but more than anything, hopefully just funny way to look at the world. Um, it's called last week on earth because we cover everything that happened during the last week on earth. Not because I think the world's ending, although sometimes that seems more likely <laughs> than it is other times. And we'll address that, you know, with general Wesley Clark now, but just a heartfelt thank you to all of you for listening for so long. And I promise we're only going to get better from here. And now, uh, a man far above my pay grade, a conversation exclusively for all of you with General Wesley Clark. Let's ha- uh, welcome General Wesley Clark and Dan Thank you very much. Thank you. Before we officially begin, let me just introduce the general more properly if I can. Uh, general Wesley Clark was the former NATO Allied Supreme Commander of Europe of our troops all over the world. Uh, He's a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Defense Distinguished Service Medal, Silver Star, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, Honorary Knighthoods from the British and Dutch governments. He's been awarded the Department of State Distinguished Service Award and numerous civilian honors for his contributions. The CEO of Wesley Clark and Associates, a strategic firm, one of the founding members of the Clinton Global Initiative, a best-selling author, written over four books, He is a Rhodes Scholar, and basically our resumes are the same. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Well, it's great to be here. Great to see everybody here, and thanks for coming. I hope we're going to make this humorous. That's all on you, my friend. Because... I'm in a bad mood today. Are you? Good, perfect. I was hoping for indictments yesterday afternoon. Look, he's starting slow. He's getting a slow Rambo. He's taking from, he's taking leads from Trump's milking it reality show style. It's coming. I'm I'm worried about Trump having a different reality show script. So I, I'm going to get right into this, okay? Please I'm, launch in. Launch in. Okay. Now look. There's two things that can really make you a hero if you're a president in America. Tax cuts, because everybody likes to take someone else's money. Mm -hmm. And a nice, short, easy, successful war. Got the tax cut bill moving right now. You got the war being lined up. I don't see a lot of smiles out there. So let me tell you the script on this. You've seen it before. You know, reality shows, they they always have the same kind of script, right? I mean, it's like, you know, there's the people you like, the people you don't like, people get thrown off, somebody's naked, you think... Every week it's the most dramatic rose ceremony. Yeah, exactly. So, So the script on this one is, 
there's a really bad guy in a country far away that you've never been to. But he's really mean and he's a threat. It's not that he could really hurt us because we're the United States of America, but he's a threat anyway. And for the good of humanity, we should get rid of him. And when we do, we'll have a big parade down Constitution Avenue with tanks and jets, and it'll, it'll change America. Probably still a very poorly attended parade. So, <laughs> okay, so, so I was a, um, I was a one star in Washington in the summer of 1991 when we had the first parade. And I don't know if any of you were there and saw General Schwarzkopf march the troops down Pennsylvania Avenue um, and, uh, and the big crowd that came out. Now, George Bush's popularity rating, George H. Bush went to 91%. He did lose the election of 92 because Ross Perot came in and took a bunch of Republican votes. And that's how Bill Clinton got in office. I haven't ever said that to President Clinton. He might object. He might say he got there, you know, with his own skill and talents. But, but the fact is there was a strong third party candidate. So after 9-11, actually before 9-11, the Bush administration had already decided they couldn't live with Saddam Hussein. Now I'd seen all the intel. We'd done all the inspections. He had nothing left that anybody could find. He had a couple of tons of biofeedstock material, but no germs. And he had some unaccounted for Scud missiles because their inventory system was so bad they couldn't tell if they fired them or not. <laughs> and um, I know because we were, my aircraft from Turkey were flying strikes over Iraq just before I retired. And um, it was an amazing thing. Right after 9-11, I was in the Pentagon, I was on CNN every day, and they told me, said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? Why are we going to go to war with Iraq? Did he have something to do with 9-11? They, they said, this is what a general told me, he said, sir, I don't know. I said, but I guess we don't know what to do about terrorism, and uh, it's a lot easier to take down a state. That's what we're, we're, we're experienced in taking down governments, yeah. not rogue right. groups. So, so we did, and I watched it unfold, and I can see the same pattern emerging right now, and I can see the same motivation emerging right now. So I'm afraid we're in for a really ugly reality show unless something else intervenes, and I hope it will. So what do you say, though, to people who, who support a little bit of, of Trump's strategy, if you can call it that, haphazard strategy, of puffing his chest back at Kim Jong-un just because we've tried the other way for so long to no avail? Maybe you could scare him down. What do you say to that? Well, first I'd ask you, you know, on the so long business, just how many people did we have killed in... Korea last year. Do we have like a thousand Americans killed in Korea? No. Do we have a hundred killed? How about the year before? Right. So the so long is like, it's this it's authentic American expression of, hey, there's a problem out there. I want it fixed. You know, <laughs> my, my, my hot water's heater's not working. Get the plumber in here right now. I'm not taking one more cold shower. But 
Foreign policy is not like that. You don't actually ever fix these problems. I mean, if you look at the Middle East right now, we really fixed that one, didn't we? I think Boy. it looks good over there now. I'm excited yeah. about it. <laughs> exactly. um, but on the, on the flip side of that again, when recently the news comes out just a couple months ago saying that, oh man, it turns out their nuclear arsenal is far more advanced than even our intelligence agencies realized, and they do now have the ability to strike the West Coast of America, maybe even halfway across the country. How do you weigh that against the possibility of a preemptive strike to try to take out his new capabilities? Maybe just eventually call their bluff and say, we, maybe he is a little rocket man and he doesn't have the ability to launch him and we can go in there and finally like, make ourselves safe and our ally in South Korea safe and our troops there safe. How do you balance that? Do you just let him forever keep stockpiling? I don't know. I mean, why, why would he attack us if he knows he and his entire country will be obliterated? Why would he do that? I mean, look, it's a beautiful, sunny Saturday afternoon in Los Angeles. I feel perfectly safe. I don't have any suspicion that there's a North Korean nuclear missile headed toward Los Angeles. We haven't attacked him. Why would he attack us? But I did grow up. I'm, I'm looking around. This is a scary thought now. I was always the youngest kid in the class. And I'm looking around. I might be the oldest person in this room. <laughs> No, I think that guy's got you beat right there. <laughs> okay, so how many, how many, let's just take a poll. How many of you did a duck and cover drill in elementary school? Okay. How many of you, um, this is a, I have to ask this question. Please. How many of you were not born in the United States? Get out. All right. So, okay. So look, I know. I'm talking ancient history, okay? I'm talking something you and your parents never experienced. We lived under the threat of the Soviet Union for 40 years until the Soviet Union fell apart. Now, they had nuclear weapons. But now there's loose nukes all over. Loose. They had. They had theater, they had suitcase-sized nuclear weapons. They sponsored... Should they be bigger? I mean, it should be bigger. It <laughs> makes a big boom. A, a suitcase size makes a big boom. I bet. Yeah. But <laughs> fortunately, we've never seen it. Thank right? So they, they supported terrorists. They trained and organized um, invasions of countries. They had weapons of mass destruction. They had all kinds of chemical agents. They had all kinds of biological agents. And they were really smart and ruthless because when you got attacked by the Soviets, they didn't just use like nerve agent. They mixed nerve agent with blood agent, with tear gas, with choking gas, so you had no idea what was killing you. You just, that's, that was the doctrine. And the same thing was true with the biological weapons. They were, it was terrible and they were ruthless. And they were prepared to fight and win a nuclear war. In fact, when we got the plans after the Cold War, we found out, case of Chicago, for example, first they would have fired you know, a dozen nuclear weapons at Chicago, and then they would have um, fired another dozen rockets filled with chemical weapons in case anybody survived the nuclear weapons that came out and tried to take a breath, and then they would have fired rockets with a couple of dozen different biological infectious agents just to make sure there was no recovery. 
And I mean, they weren't messing around and we lived with them for 40 years. So your point is that you're not nearly as scared right. about North Korea as you are right. about, right. but still, don't you get a little bit more nervous when Rodman flies out of the country when he goes to North Korea? I'm like, mm, his best friend is gone. Now we're more vulnerable. Listen, Dennis <laughs> Rodman is a strategic- He really is. He is a strategic weapon totally. of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I here's what I would recommend. You know how crazy it is you, when if, we're at a place now where Donald Trump's president that literally we hope for Dennis Rodman. Not only that, not only that, I think Dennis Rodman could win a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> you know, if he goes and sees Kim Jong Un, he brings a good tattoo artist with him, of course, because you got to bring some local culture in with it, and get in there and work and open this regime up. Really, I mean. The way we, I'll tell you how we won the Cold War. It was, um, actually it was like Elvis Presley and rock and roll and the Beatles and radio stations that came over until people decided, you know what, there's a better way to live than to live under communism. And then that's, we never had to invade. It just collapsed because they couldn't do it. If we do this the right way, North Korea will, you'll bring 25 million people in from the cold. And it could be done, and it has to be done without war. Well, I find it I find it funny that you, as the military general, are advocating for peace, and me, the comedian, is pushing for war. But <laughs> let me just ask one more follow-up on that. You know, we all saw the movie The Interview. That was the big, you know, Sony leak movie problem, whatever. And the problem is, the, in the movie, you know, Seth Rogen's character is supposed to assassinate, essentially, Kim Jong-un. Why not have Rodman do that? My, my question is, isn't removing just the, the Un family the, the problem there? And so if you just remove the one, that's the most strategic way to solve the problem and get rid of it for generations to come, and hopefully then it's a free society. Maybe you could buy him out. Or you do know, that. Just give him a couple give him of Give him like an unlimited DVD collection. Give him, give him <laughs> absolutely, with a couple of actresses. I mean, no, he likes girls. He does, sure does. Sure. And, I mean, he went to school in Switzerland. Give him a chalet in Switzerland. Interlaken, someplace like that, some nice place. It's a beautiful place. I like, I, I, I like Geneva a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, up on the mountainside there with the vineyards. But And a better barber, but, he's happy. I mean, you can't, you can't actually buy someone out like that. But what you can do is you can show them a way forward for their country where they can be safe and their country can be safe and they can get out of the trap that they've been put in. So you don't think regime change there is a viable option? Just I don't think... Because yeah. that would be the one change, tactical move. I don't know what... You know, we did regime change in, in Iraq. Worked yeah, but out, aside from that, worked it worked out really well, course. right? <laughs> uh, we tried regime change in Syria. Uh, we said that Assad was a bad person and he didn't deserve to be the president. Uh, well, that hasn't worked out very well either. I think the United States should be less concerned about how other, about who's in charge in other governments than about trying to put in place a system where people can work together, grow together, and do the best they can for themselves and their families. And really, that's the, that's the universal. I mean, I, I'm not going to defend, nobody is, nobody could defend Saddam Hussein. And nobody can defend Kim Jong-un. And this is why I'm telling you that the same reality shows being replayed. They're indefensible. We don't know them, and 
They've done probably terrible things to their own people. That seems to be documented. And, you know, his father and his grandfather, they let millions of people starve back in the 1990s rather than open up. And they don't want to give up their regime. So, okay. So how do we work around this? That's the problem that we face. Because let's look at it if we don't do it successfully. Let's look at the downside, the consequences. I ran into Jay Innersley out here, the, the governor of the state of Washington. He got me fired up before we came. We were supposed to tell jokes, right? <laughs> you didn't prepare stand-up for this? I, I've always wanted to be a stand-up. Have you really? Yeah, yeah but I... I can coach you. It's no problem. <laughs> you can coach me to be a general. I've always wanted to be a general. No lateral entry. Start as a lieutenant. All right. I just thought it could be like so, a Freaky Friday Jamie Lee Curtis thing. <laughs> So, so anyway, so here's, here's the thing on, on North Korea. Here's what happens if you don't work this. The Olympics are going to be there in February. Nothing's going to happen before the Winter Olympics. Then what we've already done is we've created, we, the United States government, has created the syllogism, which makes war inevitable. Here's the syllogism. A, you can't deter Kim Jong-un because he's a madman. B, you can't enter into any agreement with him because he breaks agreements. As do we. So C, that leaves you two choices. Live with an erratic madman who can't, or get rid of him. Now, or impeach our own. Let's come to that. Okay. okay. Put, that, put that one in your pocket. Yeah. That's the stand-up joke after this one. Okay. <laughs> So, I mean, you've got a syllogism here that you can't work with and you can't live with. So you have to take the syllogism apart. We sure we can't deter Kim Jong-un? I mean, he hasn't killed anybody recently. Uh, yes, he's... Except his family members, but, like, that's a family that's thing. That's a different thing, right? Fear in that. Yeah, I'll tell Okay, so what he did with his family members is, I was in China in 2013, and uh, a guy came to me to explain what was going on. He says, he, told, he says, we told that young man, keep his mouth shut or we will end it for you. So suddenly in 2013, he stopped complaining about the American exercises. He'd just taken over, just boom, shut up, just like this. Over the next two years, he used his state security to find out who in his government was an agent of the Chinese government. The Chinese have always penetrated deeply into North Korean government. Turned out it was his uncle. <laughs> Uh, and a few dozen other officers that we know of that were relatively high-ranking officers. You know, you send someone to China for education, for military training or something like that, and they're approached by, said, uh, you know, you're on our side, right? And before you know it, there's a relationship, and they're feeding, and they could be used. Anyway, he used his secret service. He identified all those people and uh, put them up, tied them up on anti-aircraft guns and blew their heads off. And uh, it sounds pretty bad, but... Um, he then had his brother, half-brother, killed in uh, Thailand with a, with a nerve agent. That sounds pretty bad, too. But In like a prank show style. Everything's becoming reality shows in the world right now. Actually, it's the oldest sort of game in human history is that these members of royal families knock each other off. I mean, I hate to say it. I know many of you are really fans of Queen Elizabeth I of England. Huge fans. But if you... <laughs> 
my mother, my mother was always a believer in Mary, Queen of Scots. And go back and look at what happened to Mary when Queen Elizabeth thought she was a threat. I mean, that's that's the end of it. Forget about Henry VIII and his wives. And I mean, people kill each other in these in these family dynasties. It's not a sign of irrationality. It's a sign of their determination to stay in power. Okay, so then and assuming... That's what you've got in North Korea. So then assuming that we can try to continue with diplomacy for years to come, how do you rank the other global threats? What do you think are the most pressing global threats? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is uh, you've got five real challenges. If you deal with the five challenges that we're facing, these are... Like I told you about the Soviet Union, right? We lived under the threat of nuclear annihilation for 40 years. There's nothing like that that can hurt America right now. There's nothing like that. You may be scared of to keep your doors locked and don't let your kids play on the street and all that sort of thing. And uh, you know, you know, from Amber Alerts, but there's nothing like what we lived in during the Cold War. But there are five challenges that together represent that kind of a threat. Terrorism, cybersecurity, financial system stability, the ascent of China, and climate change. We got a, every one of these is sort of the same kind of challenge. They're all long-term. You can't fix them with a single technology. Government can't do it alone. It takes the private sector and government. And no one country can do it alone. And so they're really the most complicated challenges you can face. If you look at terrorism, uh, sure, you could eliminate terrorism really easily if you eliminated air travel, communications, commerce, and movement. You just seal and them cars. Up over get, there. get rid of cars. Yeah, and seal them up over there. And uh, yeah, get rid of cars and trucks, mm -hmm. trucks and bike paths. Yeah, you got to get rid of yeah. bike paths. <laughs> and then, it's a real threat to us. And then cyber, it's easy. Just give up your iPhone. No, just go back to telephones, mail. What's wrong with that? No cyber. Banking system, there's too much money anyway. So just park the money. China, that's a different problem. China's been the center of human civilization for 5,000 years, except for 200 years when the Brits got in there and seeded opium all around and destroyed the emperor. And Xi Jinping believes they should be back as the center of human civilization. We just gotta make sure that when the billion and a half people in China come of age, in 2049 and really have all this control that they respect the rest of us through the kind of international institutions that we've been setting up and working for the last 70 years and that's not a given and then as far as climate change if you want to stop climate change just stop the economy we're really fee it's all about economic growth so you know? do you not think there are any viable solutions to any of these problems they all have to be managed and worked but there's Every no, there's, one no of them. there's no silver bullets there's no silver bullets yet. There's no single technology. There's no like, oh, let's declare war on climate change and uh, we'll fix this. Okay, fine. There's 250 million. Maybe you could get Republicans on board though. <laughs> war on climate change, they get excited. You have to get, it's every, every one of these has a problem. Every one of these is deeply political. Take the, take the banking system. You know, right now you can't get, the Dodd-Frank bill was written before we even had investigated what caused the financial meltdown in 2008. We didn't even have the results of it when people started throwing stuff up there and saying, we gotta get a bill, we gotta get a bill. And then the bill was, is a really long, complex bill because every lobbyist in Washington 
and some from every other state capital descended on Congress and said, what you're doing, is, it's really good, except for this one clause. We have to change this paragraph and put this phrase in. And so the thing gets longer and longer, and there's so many exceptions in it, and we still haven't fixed the $650 trillion worth of financial system derivatives that are out there that if anybody ever pulled the plug on it and said, you owe me a trillion. Well, no, you owe me two trillion. I can't give you one till you give me two. And then the EO's four. And nobody knows all those connections because there's no regulation. There's no market. It's a private, non-transparent set of markets out there. It's gambling and people make money on it. And so that's not fixed. So in every, but you can't fix it because the banks make most of their money today trading not lending. They don't serve the function that you learned in college or high school in economics of what a capital market is and what the function of a bank is. They're just like everything else. It's about put a group of guys together, give them some rules and say, get out there guys and do it. And uh, do it is uh, make money. Yeah, they're the rich kids in, in the cafeteria trading their favorite Lunchables back and forth. When the poor kid just has an apple, he's like, I just have an apple. Can we possibly hook it up and they don't care? It's all removed. But how do you how do you solve, how do you tackle any of these problems when the very concept of truth has just been so spun up into the dust lately that even you say Dodd Frank even even that doesn't go far enough and doesn't have the right provisions. <clears throat> but then Trump comes in and he's like, regulation's a problem, too much regulation. And so now we're talking about even the regulation we have being too much, and the conversation changes so quickly. How do you tackle any of these problems when every when we don't even know what the problems are and we can't even agree on the problems. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that the, the only silver bullet in this, if there is a silver bullet, is to get the money out of politics. Exactly right. So I'm, I'm sorry for those of you that are associated with big corporations or are multi-millionaires and use that to buy influence, but it is pay to play in Washington. And People who are in elected office spend too much time dialing for dollars because that's all that's that's the way the system works. And you'd have to get money out of politics. Right. And you see like Senator Flake, who finally has the courage to stand up against Trump as he, he says, we must fight. We must stand up. And I'm retiring because he doesn't think he can win because Bannon's going to take him down because he has the money to, to torpedo his campaign. Well, we've learned some really terrible things from Cambridge Analytica that we didn't understand before, and now we do. We've learned how to really do pinpoint targeting on and negative campaigning. And I was in the last uh, weekend of the campaign, I was in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, I had a speech at, I think it was Lackawanna College, which is a two-year uh, junior college, and um, about 70%, I'd say, minority. And it's a sort of pro pre-football college. So if you're a really great high school athlete, you don't quite have the grades, they put you to Lackawanna College, you put on 40 pounds, you go to Ohio State, and then they make sure you get to the pros. And sitting in this group, about 400 people trying to talk about Hillary, and I'm, I'm looking, there's just a lot of real anger in the room. And the guy who's a captain of the basketball team stands up and says, she had 30,000 emails how could she have 30,000 emails? Said, well, it's like eight years worth of emails that are personal emails. So why would they be personal emails? I said, do you want your girlfriend's email to you 
out there in public? Don't you think she has a right to tell her husband, hey, Bill, you're late. Where the hell are you? Without it being on the front page of the New York Post. And let's be honest, that's so, the benign so, message of so being. <laughs> That's my that's my case for the okay again. I'm sorry, baby. I'm and maybe worse. Maybe worse. Maybe worse. So, but so I'm so I'm out there with these. I'm looking at them and I can't understand the source of the anger. I, I I left. I was really disturbed because. You know, I've done a lot of campaigning. I didn't do much campaigning when I was running for office, but I did have a political action committee for the next four years, and I campaigned for a lot of other people. And I've been to a lot of states, and I look at people's faces, and I look at their reactions, and I try to figure out, uh, how do you reach these people? And these people were unreachable. And I was really surprised because they were the demographic that should have been. When I looked at the audience before I went in, I said, I don't even know why I'm here, because these people are all going to vote for Hillary anyway. And... I was stunned. So I know it was effective. Negative campaigning works. Yeah. Fake news works. And there are many of my friends. Remember, I'm from Arkansas. I did not forget that. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm in the reddest of the red states. There's not a Democrat in statewide office. And I love Arkansas. I grew up there. There's wonderful people there. But they just don't always see the same perspective, they don't have the same view of what America is, and they don't get exposed to the same ideas that people elsewhere do. And so I, I look at this and I think, my goodness, where is this country going? And maybe how the do we solution, make it forward? maybe how we make it forward is clearly it just seems through Facebook ads. We need to take out Facebook ads like the Russians did and target specifically these mindsets that need to be shifted. We need, like, that's the one point that I think often, you and I were talking on the escalator up about how, while Trump is a real problem, he's genius, the best we've ever seen at messaging and at boiling his message down to these simple, repeatable slogans. And the left has to fight as hard and as aggressively and as, as, as with as much tactic and shrewdness as he does, as, as, and as in general the right does, to combat that. We can't, you can't be the good guy fighting bad guys and then also be nice. You can't as you would, of course, know. But there's an asymmetry out here, and here's the... You can't bring a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> yes, but the problem that we've got is that when I talk like this with people like this that are most of you in this room, you don't want to lie. You're not conspiracy theorists. Right. You're not going to say <laughs> untruths about the other side. So you say, they lied about us. Okay, I'm going to lie about them. No. That's not basically who we are. But I'm not saying lies. I'm no, just no, saying, I'm just saying, you know, phrase it in more, uh, in more stark yeah, terms. They're trying to kill millions of you by taking your health care away. They're trying to kill do you generations with the environment. If, do you think that if it had been Republicans and a Democratic president, that the Republicans would have gone to the Democratic president and said, oh, you, you need some help from the Republicans to help so we don't kill the, uh, kill the U.S. currency by not paying our debts? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, no problem. Just have us a couple of photo ops at the White House and we'll be really happy with it. We did that. And it was like for a triumph. But Trump fired two missiles or four missiles into Syria and People are all of a sudden saying, oh, he's a real leader now, he's a real statesman, he's fired those missiles. And without looking at the motives and, and what's behind this, I think, I think this is a sort of generational challenge 
You know, my generation had civil rights, and um, we just had- We've lost those now. We just had the 60th anniversary of Central High School, and uh, I had the pl pleasure of being there with the Little Rock Nine. Now imagine being a 15, 16-year-old African-American boy or girl going to school with 3,000 white kids and having to walk the line to get in there with a bunch of people screaming and throwing things at you, and then getting into the school and having people step on your heels and bump you in the hallways and knock your books out of your hand and putting up with that for a year. That was the first civil rights major action in America. And uh, I, I really love these people. I met them, they're all 75, 76 years old now, and they're really incredibly courageous people, and they've all gone on to have great lives and children and make real contributions. But my point is, that was my generation's challenge. Challenge for the millennial generation is, how do we deal with the issue of the fake news, the Facebook, and all that stuff? I'll tell you one thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about how to deal with it. The Soviets started forming the Communist Internationale in the early 1920s. And so they always had fake news, but they had to start it in places like India to get it to Britain, to get it to the United States. And they always had people they called fellow travelers and useful idiots, people who would repeat their stories, even though they, because, and there were always people who went over there, for example, in the 1930s, and wouldn't report that there were six million people starved to death, or 10 million people starved to death in Ukraine under the collectivization <coughs> of agriculture, because that's the way it's been. And the Soviets always worked to penetrate American institutions. There, were, there was Russian money, Soviet money, in the anti-war movement. There were efforts to organize all around and change American opinion, but we didn't, we didn't, we, we rolled with the punch. We right. couldn't do anything. We started the National Endowment of Democracy in 1983 under Ronald Reagan, and we started training lawyers and civil rights workers and human rights workers, and we taught people how to poll watch and organize, and um, we set forth revolutionary ideas across this planet. And Putin today, <laughs> and Xi Jinping in China, are reacting to it. Xi Jinping says the greatest threat to China is Western democratic values. And that's what we're training on a very small budget in the United States. So this war goes both ways. So when you think about it, you have to realize that, um, you know, Ukraine is now no longer exactly in Russia's orbit. There's a frozen war in Ukraine. There's people being killed there every week. Uh, but Ukrainians have made up their mind they want to be with the West. That's a huge win for our ideals. So it's an active engagement. This generation has to decide how to move forward and safeguard democracy at home in the face of conflicting ideas and conflicting versions of the truth. We just have to do this. And there's no simple solution. You can't have a government censor, right? right. I mean, so there's no truth standard. It's nice to be reminded, at least, that the propaganda is not anything new and that they've all been new. But I guess we just have new technologies. We have to figure out ways to put yeah. firewalls in for all of that. But um, let me just shift gears for a second. You mentioned your presidential run. You know, you over 40 years in the military and, you know, ascended to the highest levels of our military. And it's a very complex, multi-tiered 
organization, and then you shifted into politics. I wonder what made you make that shift, and which world is scarier? <laughs> oh, politics is much scarier. <laughs> Look, the military is the most meritocratic institution in America. And if you go in and do a good job, then you'll succeed up to a certain level. And then, of course, like anything, it's a pyramidal organization. So some people aren't going to get promoted to major. Some aren't going to make it to lieutenant colonel. But up through two stars, it's very meritocratic. And after that, it becomes personality and internal politics. And people have their own favorites and teams. And people have worked together, you know, 10 years before. They try to help each other, that kind of thing. But it's a, it's a pretty wonderful organization in terms of stable, secure, balanced, educated, dedicated. As a NATO commander, I made 10 times annually what a basic private made. So I made more money. Uh, my take-home pay as a NATO commander was 120000 a year. Now, I'm not complaining because I had private jets, private helicopters. I had a great a billionaire lifestyle, but it wasn't about the money. I grew up under socialism. Lived in a government house, had a government car, kid went to government school, um, took money from the government. Uh, in the army, when you got your budget, that meant how much you could spend. You didn't have to make it. It came from Uncle Sugar. In fact, we used to say, a penny spent is a penny earned. A penny saved is a penny lost. Because if you save that money at the end of the year, the government comes down and takes that money and says, oh, we gave you more money for your tank battalion than you needed. Shrinks Give us back budget. this money. It's, look, it was what, what my son calls authoritarian socialism. And I came out into the private sector, and I had all these grand dreams. I, you know, I used to teach at West Point. I taught political philosophy at West Point. And I traveled in Latin America extolling the virtues of democracy to people like Fujimori in Peru and Pinochet in Chile. And so um, I was a pretty idealistic guy. And when I came out and I looked at America, it didn't match its uh, ideals. I saw people going bankrupt because they didn't have health insurance. I saw people who needed a lawyer, couldn't get one. I saw CEOs making not a, 10 times, not 100 times, but 400 times. I, I, I saw one of my great experiences was they made this mistake of putting me on the compensation committee for a, a, a merger in one of these private equity groups. And so the HR director came to me before the board meeting and she said, now, before we present this, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go from a defined um, benefit to a defined contribution plan. And we just want to make sure, you know, there's no discussion of this at the board because why would we want to discuss it at the board? So I said, well, I'm not, I just got out of the military. I said, does that mean like you don't know how much you're going to get when you retire? You, it's all up to the market and you can put this money in and then if the market goes down, you don't have enough money to retire on? She said, that's right. That's right. But they take the risk. And I said, but, you know, ma'am, <clears throat> in the Army, if they did this to us, we'd say this was an erosion of benefits and we'd go to Congress and say, you know, we signed up, we, we thought this is what we, we were deserving and you can't take this away from us. She said, General, she said, let me tell you something. There's 10 people out there that want jobs in this company for every one that's working here. If anybody doesn't like that, they can quit and we'll bring somebody else on. She was pretty tough. 
And that's when I started to understand the difference between what we believed in the Army America was like and what it was becoming. Now, many of you have probably been through that experience, and many of you probably even say, well, what's wrong with a defined contribution plan? I love my 401k. But the point is that the country has changed. It doesn't have the safety net and security that I found in the military, and it doesn't provide the equal opportunities for meritocratic advancement that I found in the military. I find it just going in a, in a way that is, uh, it, it doesn't support bringing the best talent to the most important work, which is helping the country move forward. I think government has to help society. I don't think government is a burden on society necessarily. I think if you use government properly, it helps us. That's how we all got here. None of this would be here without effective work through government. Right, it's and the only corporation where you can vote in and out the CEO. Exactly. Well, well so far. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, we have a CEO right now who doesn't believe that that should apply. He's the only one that's important, He's, according to him. Well, I mean, Trump Inc. is going to be, well, he, it's, it's like the American flag, right? He's, he stands for America. And, uh, and, yeah, and apparently his definition of standing for America is you must stand during an anthem and then undermine our country's values and institutions at every possible chance. That's patriotic. As long as you're standing for those 30 I, seconds. I think, I think we're at a really uh, frightening inflection point for America. And we don't know whether we're going to get through this and write this or not. When I see what's going on in the Congress and I see the efforts to block Mueller's investigation and redirect it, um, as Hillary said the other day, Fox News acts like she's still president. Or is president or going to be president. So um, th th this is a really difficult time for the country. And uh, in California, you're, how many of you all are not from California? Ah, Most hey, pretty good. <laughs> we got a bunch of missionaries here. We got to send them off with a mission when they get home. You got to look, you got to speak out in your communities. We've got to Get the country back on the right course. You can't have a, a president is not a CEO. The president is the head of the executive branch. There are three co-equal branches in this government. It's laid out in the U.S. Constitution. And there are certain rules you follow. Like when you're the president, you don't sick the FBI on somebody or the IRS on somebody. That's the way it worked in the Soviet Union. That's what we don't like in Putin. That's called corrupt government. So we have to, we have to get people in office who will understand and represent that. And that's our challenge. How, I want to open it up in a few minutes to questions, but this is a large question, but how, how do we do it? Because there's so many systemic problems, it seems, right? And you seem to imply a few minutes ago when you're talking about the big challenges, the ascent of China, that you almost seem to imply that China will be taking over as the global leader. And so is that okay? Should we maybe just create a more humble image of ourselves, both domestically and around the world, and be okay with that? Or do we need to remain the leader of, of our values for the planet? And then how do we do it? Is, is the solution 
getting somehow putting regulations or getting rid of 24-hour cable news networks is part of it, obviously getting money out of politics, but how do you make that a number one issue? Is it making sure even the Democrats who are in Congress seem to be so concerned about re-election, they often aren't fighting the, the hard fights as strongly as they should be. What is an actionable way that we, and then again, all of our information is so fluid and it's in a cloud that can be hacked very easily and you know, our privacy is already gone and Facebook's mapping our faces and then the government can just subpoena the information anytime. There's so many systemic problems. Do we just hope? Do we tackle them one by one? Or do we need like a very urgent national movement to tackle one of them, to get the money out of politics, to... Uh, that's enough of the question, I guess. <laughs> well, what was your question exactly? <laughs> How do we fix all this, General? Look, I think you fix it the same way you got into it. We are a democracy and people's votes matter. And each of us as an individual matters. There's no substitute in my view for the kind of system that lets people express themselves, their talents, their creativity, and take their lives where they will. There's no substitute for human freedom. It's like, it's like a disease when people come from other planets, or other countries. <laughs> Sorry. Stop talking about Trump. I don't, don't, want, don't want to go there yet. Not there yet. Um, and uh, they come from other countries. They come here and they see how we live. They don't always understand how we live. But they see it and they go home and they think, why can't I be like this? In, why can't we live like this in Russia or in China or in Vietnam? And, uh, and so uh, it's an infectious idea, this idea of personal liberty, individual responsibility. And that's, what, that's the essence of what America is about. And that's the only way we'll fix what America stands for and make it true to its own values. Putting hard lines in the sand for our values. What we've got to do is we've got to... When people recognize, and there really is a national movement that recognizes there's too much money in politics, money will get out of politics. I mean, we have the means at hand to do that right now through mass communications with Twitter and other things. Just everybody says, my priority is actually, I don't even need an assault weapon, but my priority, the thing's gonna determine whether I vote for someone or not, is whether they're going to get money out of politics. Right. It's the numbers. Is it they more focused on that one I mean, map again? In the, in, the, in the pantheon of Democratic and Republican values, is it more important than the right to have an automatic weapon with a 30-round magazine? Definitely. Okay. Is it more important than a woman's right to choose? I mean, I, I was going to say definitely, but then people are going to freak when out. You get, when you get into these... <laughs> It is. I'm not going to make you say this. I'm not going to make you say this. It's a systemic issue that causes I mean, all of it. I mean, what, right. what I learned running for office is it's sort of a, a checklist as a Democrat. Pro-choice, uh, blah, 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 blah. I go down these things. But the question is, where are your priorities? Right. So if we really believe that money is the cause of a lot of these problems, then when people start to agree with that and Tens of millions of people make that their criteria for selecting who will represent them in office and for insisting that the rules be changed. You know, here's what, one of the amazing things I learned when I was running for office is I didn't know where the money went. You know where most of the money goes, right? Media. TV and media. That's where it goes. Ad buys. And, yeah, but, but actually a lot of it just pays for airtime. And when you... 
look at that and say, wait a minute, can't we do better than that? Can't the people who own television networks and radio networks give up airtime? Isn't this important? Can't we pick a start point for a campaign and then let it rip and, and have it be shorter than two years, which is it's half the term. It's actually this time it's already started. It already started. Trump started like two I weeks mean, in. He was like re-election campaign. You know, and you know, it's just about getting the right ideas. And when people all when people all see the same thing, this country will change. It's still a democracy. And That's it doesn't so matter how many assault weapons are out there, it doesn't matter how mean they are on Capitol Hill. Right. If everybody wants money out of politics, we'll get it out of politics. That's the that's so wise. I think that really is the most prescient point. I want to like refocus on it for a more second because we're, we have such an outrage machine built into our country now, built into our media, built into our Facebook pages, that we get equally mad about every single thing. And it keeps us distracted and angry. And while those are all annoying problems and all bad problems, and all things we should try to preserve, there, like you said, it has to be a pinpoint of priorities. Like when people say... Oh, I don't even know if I want Trump impeached because then you get Pence and that's as bad. It's not as bad because you can argue about the political points of each individual issue. But I would think even gay people would agree with you, even though Pence is horrible for gay people. You have to prioritize. It would be worse for gay people and all people if the country crumbled because we lose all sense of truth and faith in our institutions and faith in our elections if we allow Trump to keep doing it. So I think you can sometimes take one for the team for a short amount of time just for prioritizing to make sure you don't let the whole country crumble while trying to make sure you don't slightly roll back gay marriage for a short time or whatever it is. Those are beautiful, important issues, but you're not going to have gay marriage if the country is on fire. Al Franken did this, you know. Al was a stand-up comedian. He was on Saturday Night Live, and he's in the Senate. I think you've got a future. <laughs> I'll think about it. I'll think about it. You should, because one of the things we learned about this president, and you have to learn from everybody whether you agree with him or not, is boy, he is a great communicator to his base. Amazing. He really knows how to whip them up. And communication is one of the absolute essential skills, and it's, it changes with the changes in technology. But we have the means of communication, we have the means of arousing support and and developing the kind of passion that will change the country, we should take it. I Let's saw do questions, guy, yeah, please. A lot of questions out there. Right there. The black shirt, right there. Thank you. Great uh, talk. Thank you for all the insight. Um, General, um, I, I heard you mention the five threats that are currently a threat to the world or the United States. Five challenges. Five challenges. Five challenges that um, currently face us. Um, uh, how do you envision the role of the U.S. military to tackle those five issues? Because they're not typical military issues that can be fixed with armies and guns. No, that's right. The military has a sort of partial role in all of these. I think in terms of combating terrorism, I think it's fine to have the military go after people who are about to kill you. But, you know, when you kill people, their relatives hate you. And in many countries, they come after you. And so simply going out and killing people in these other countries is not a real solution. In reality, I think with modern civilization and many of these societies, like if you look at terrorist recruiting in England, for example, you find people who can't find significance in their lives, and that drives them toward extremism. So we have to think as a culture how you 
I mean, it used to be you were significant if you lived in a cave and you had a woman and you could catch two or three rabbits a day to eat. And then you had to become a farmer and have land and have cattle and sheep and so forth. And then you had to be an industrialist and, and, and you had to have an education. And in the 21st century, when the world is awash in money, when we've got total command of nature's productivity for food, when we could, I mean, not everybody's gonna have filet mignon every night, but there's no reason given agricultural science to have people starving anywhere in the world today. But what is it that gives people significance in their lives as individuals? Is it enough to just get married, raise some kids? How do they do better than you did? And how do you give the kids their significance? A lot of that value stuff is what's at the root of terrorism. Cybersecurity, the military should be helping with its cyber command to help secure the country. Currency, military has no rule with China. We're not gonna go to war with China, I hope. But I do think that um, China respects power. And so starts with economic power. We have to have economic growth in this country, create jobs. And they look at our military and they wish they could have the same military we have. They know we're good. We are really good. They're not that good yet, but they strive to be. As far as climate change, militaries in their pecking, trying to get you know solar and wind on military bases and stuff like this. But these are challenges. These are long-term challenges, and the military is not the institution. These are challenges that government as a whole has to deal with. And that means people have to understand them and support government efforts to deal with them. Another question, right? That's right there. Hi, I'm Joey Nanda. Thanks for coming. Um, I volunteered for your campaign in 2000. Thank you. Um, in 2007, you said uh, you went to the DOD, and you said the DOD had a plan to take out seven countries in five years. It's 10 years later. Could you kind of look back at, at that and, and kind of inform us on what happened and did it meet your expectations? And, and what's, are there more countries going? So I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how this started, okay? So in 1990, in 1991, I was, a, I was at the Pentagon. It was May. We just finished the Gulf War. I went in to see the Under Secretary of Defense, and he said, I said, you must be proud of the troops. He said, nah, yeah, but uh, we didn't take out Saddam Hussein. He said, but we did learn one thing. He said, we can use force with impunity in the Gulf, and uh, we've got five to 10 years to take out these old Soviet surrogate regimes before the next great superpower comes along. I'm like stunned. You know, I'm a, I'm a veteran of the Cold War. The whole point of the military was not to have a war. And I asked him a couple of questions and then the conversation drifted off. He comes back into office with Dick Cheney in 2001 and we were off to the races. And I saw the paper that said, or I was told about the paper that said, you know, it's Iraq, then it's Syria, then it's so and so. But it was never a plan. It was like daydream conceptualizing with somebody's signature on it in the Pentagon. It was the sort of, hey, if everything really works out great after we, you know, make democracy and make Iraq petition to be the 51st state, how about Syria? Why stop with Syria? We could get Lebanon. And then we never liked Gaddafi. And then there's Somalia. And so if Sudan. Iraq had worked well, maybe all that would have happened. And that was a kind of neocon vision, is that, and, and they actually watched what we did in Southeast Europe with 
uh, with Kosovo, with bringing peace to Bosnia, and they were like, hey man, we could, you know, this is a pattern, this is America, we're the, we're the superpower. It was the freedom agenda, which was yeah. the real hidden right, cause right. behind the Bush administration. I mean, and, and, it, and just like tax cuts, when you go to Democrats and you say, hey, we're gonna invade, I know you Democrats don't like war, but we're gonna bring democracy, you like voting, right? Human rights, right? It's really hard for Democrats to stand up and say, no, don't start the war. We're not in favor of democracy. Let those countries have their own system. It takes a long time to get the voting in. And, um, and democracy is a tough thing to manage. Uh, witness where, where we are right now. So, but it's hard. You know, it's uh, in the political dialogue. It's hard to stop the momentum for something like this. So I don't think there was ever a plan so to speak. It was more like a dream. It was a fantasy. It's let those legions roll. You know, the new Rome is here. Didn't last very long. We'll do one more question. I we're, we're, about, we're out of time pretty much, right? Almost out of time, yeah. right? One more question. In the back there. Back to the, uh, standing up in the back. The woman standing up in the back. I wanted to do one female question if we could. Or, or, or this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, another white guy. Let's do that. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Thank you for deferring. Always a wise choice to defer to women. Um, <laughs> um, general We've had enough out of you. Next question. General Club, it was inspiring to hear you uh, express optimism that we could actually get out of this paper play system that we found ourselves in Washington. What, what do you think that would actually look like? I mean, uh, there's there's galvanizing public support for it. Is it in terms of actual logistics of that, is it overturning Citizens United? Like we've gotten ourselves into a really deep endemic system where lobbyists are essentially running Washington. How do we get out of that? Is it possible? Well, you mean you want to drain the swamp? <laughs> so as as people are saying now, President Trump's brought the swamp to Washington. Yeah. But the truth is that you need experienced, smart people in government. And if you have to go back and trace the record of how, step by step, we gave away in this country over the last 35 years the rules, regulations, laws, and procedures that kept the democracy stable and protected us. The first indication of the failure was the financial crisis of 2008, where we gave up the separation between investment banking and commercial banking, and it led to this proliferation of trading and, and mortgage-backed securities that led to the collapse. But we've also given up the fairness in media. We've given up restrictions of ownership in media markets. We've um, passed a, tried to pass laws regulating campaign finance. We ended up with Citizens United which says that the more money you have, the louder voice you have in democracy. Yeah, so you missed the mark on that one a little. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different things that have contributed to this, and if you want to change it, you have to sort of roll it back. But don't be too idealistic on this, in this, in this regard. I mean, America has always been, and must always have in it, some consideration for material prosperity and economic growth and development. It's not like you can ignore what business says and business needs, because it's business and economic development and commerce that brought us the prosperity, the strength, the wealth, and the ability to realize our values. So we've got to get the right balance in place. We need to hear what industry has to say 
about regulations. But we need to balance what industry wants in regulations with what's the larger public good for the commons. And that's where we think the balance may have tilted somewhat in recent days. So we have to be careful on this as we move forward. We can't, we can't um, imagine that we can sort of have an anti-business government. If we have an anti-business government, we won't impress China. We won't solve the problem of cybersecurity. We won't deal effectively with terrorists, financial system stability, or climate change. We have to bring people together, not drive them apart. Maybe the answer is not to have an anti-business government, but to have a government that is, doesn't have business in it. Well, I think, just I think, business, you, I think you need businessmen in government. For but sure. I think, but, but just I don't think, let it be run like a business. Don't I let think, it. I think, yeah, that's true. And I think also you have to reduce the, the influence of money in politics because it's, the countervailing institutions to big business have been systematically, um, they've been taken apart. Labor unions used to be the countervailing power to big business. But labor unions are, are lost. We used to have 20, 30 percent of the American working public was in a union. Now it's down to four or five percent, and most of the unions are government unions, the ones that have survived. And so uh, you've lost that as a way of mobilizing funds and focusing attention. And there are other elements of countervailing power you've lost. So it's a little out of balance right now. but. Um, you all have to fix it, okay? I'm the old guy in the room. I'm telling you it can be fixed. What? You have to fix it. You're the second oldest guy in the room. <laughs> At least. Uh, one last question for you is, I know when you and I spoke on the phone, I asked you if it's ever in a soldier's moral duty to disobey an order if it is an immoral order. And you said, of course, absolutely you must. That's your job. Isn't the same true for just everyone in our country and in our government, do we need to maybe start having people on both sides of the aisle, all the constituents tell the people in power, we don't care as much about the individual policies as we do about the morality behind it. We must have people standing against Donald Trump on the right and the left, Republicans and Democrats, just because he's doing so many things to undermine the values of our country as a much higher priority than winning any next thing. On your priorities list, doesn't that have to be at the very top? Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> and, and look, one solace from what you said, too, if it all goes to shit, we can always retreat to a cave with a woman and a couple of rabbits. <laughs> so that's nice. Please give everybody your applause. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.